content warning. This episode of Stargate SG-1 uh, has a scene depicting rape and nudity. Uh, in, it's in the second half of the episode, so it's not. It's in the content that we'll cover in the second podcast episode. Um, basically, we'll 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 talk about it when we get there. It's it's a real bad scene that was uh, put in by executives uh it, it doesn't add much creatively to the episode but if you want to skip that and i wouldn't blame you for uh if you do uh the the scene starts at around one hour one minute and 51 seconds in the episode and and ends at 104 36 so up to you um but uh, enjoy the show <laughs> it's a great big world with a great big swirl when you step inside to another world. We're talking Stargate, it's a crazy trip. You can go quite far and you don't need a car or even a ship. It's getting picky here. There's Colonel O'Neill and Carter and Daniel and Teal. Look out for that Cree everyone, and welcome to Jaffa Takes, the show where we rewatch Stargate and then Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe eventually. And today we're going to start actually the, I guess, the main meat, the, the main course of this whole uh, meal of sci- TV sci-fi that we have ahead of us, which is... Stargate SG-1, the the show that ran the longest out of all of these things, and we're starting with the first episode of Stargate SG-1, which is Children of the Gods, and we're only doing the first half of it because it's one of those double-length, hour-and-a-half hour episodes. Um, joining me today, we have M. Hi, I'm M. Uh, M. Healy, eh? and specifically I want to make it known that my, my last name is now spelt with two L's. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, that's gonna... Yeah, okay. Nice. Well, welcome. Again, once again, M. Haven't been on since the original episode of the show. You, you got to open the movie, and now you get, you get to open the, get to the open. pilot episode. Uh, and we have Jimmy Dean with us. Hey! It's me! I'm Rep- back! Yeah, representing the newcomer uh, wing of this podcast, uh, which is always nice to have a nice balance, even though I guess it's two to, two to one... Uh, familiar with this series versus newcomer uh i'm gonna say it right now i'm sorry if my voice sounds a little weird this week y'all i'm fighting a little uh post-stress cold uh i moved apartments a week ago and then like of course as the stress got out of my body as all this was uh being resolved of course that's when my body decided to just let that nasty virus in not the not the virus you're thinking of i did do a test. It's not COVID. I'm fine. It's just a cold, but it is, uh, you might hear it and, uh, might have to turn my mic off to blow my nose every once in a while, but it's going to be fine. We're going to get through this because we have Stargate SG1 ep- season one, episode one, children of the gods to talk about. Uh, I guess I'm going to start by asking Jimmy Dean if he has any like, I don't know, uh, general impressions that he wants to share after first viewing this episode. So you haven't, you haven't watched like the next episode or anything else, right? This is just like, okay. What do you think? Uh, so this was filmed, uh, for like a hundred bucks. Looks (laughs) incredibly cheap for a pilot. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really blown away that this is their pilot. Mm hmm. 
it it because it's this is me as a, as a you know with no nostalgia. I'm going to critique the show here and give it a negative. Uh-huh. Here. Uh, throwing, yeah, go ahead. Throwing the entire onus on the audience to have seen a movie separate from your TV show <laughs> to understand <laughs> any element of your TV show. Oh, really? Because because I I kind of had the the opposite thought watching it that they like they they go over, back over it really fast but I kind of felt like they really take care to recap all the stuff you need to know from the movie even though it's a bunch to be honest but yeah it's like See, I'm just I've... trying to think like were there other shows like you know uh, syndicated uh, episodic sci-fi shows that kind of did that same process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the the only one, other one I can think of is Buffy, and even then, it's it was you could really jump into Buffy and not even know that there was a movie for it first, correct. and that's completely fine. Yeah, so the really I don't know, bad this Robocop is, TV show. Yeah, I guess but I never you know, watched that. It's Robocop, so you know you yeah, figure out the rough details of yeah. this cop the, 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 ti- the title tells you everything you need to know, and oh. it's like I don't think even. It, can, it, it followed any... Sorry. I can think of one. Uh, although I've never oh. seen it, so I don't know how they uh, approach the pilot. But Highlander. Oh, yeah. It's a different guy, right? It's yes, not the same It's a totally Highlander. different guy. There's, yeah. no, re- there's no relation to the continuity. They eventually made... like the. I think the last Highlander movie is the TV guy and Christopher Lambert meeting Second up. Second right? last one. And, TV guy has one movie by himself. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's great. It's a real bad movie. <laughs> I bet I saw, I saw some of the Highlander TV show, and I've never seen the movie, so it's a it's kind of a weird thing. The, the TV show was a cheap thing, also, but I guess it was an interesting, also an interesting concept to base a sci-fi show on. So it's not it's not all bad. Um, but yeah, uh, you're pretty much right about everything you said. Uh, this is shockingly cheap. Uh, clearly, like the the MGM was throwing the least amount of money and Showtime, whoever was producing this, and I guess the producers, so Richard Dean Anderson himself, who paid for a bunch of this show from his own pocket, um, they weren't super risky in terms of budget because they didn't even know if it would get picked up yet. Uh, This is like a, yeah, it's a two-set, one-location show, a bunch of extras, but cheap costumes, cheap props, everything. There's one really cool set that they clearly spend the most money on, which is the SGC, but... Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm just going to throw out there. Is is there any reason they didn't just remake the movie, but with the television cast? I mean, the reason is that the movie's already there, and there was like... It would just have restated all the plot points with some corrections to make it fit the show better. Uh, but you can kind of see in this episode, they were kind of clearly keeping the movie as kind of a blueprint. They had a bunch of similar beats that the movie does. Uh, there's a couple of scenes that are clearly I mean, like I, riffing I, I, on I'm scenes from the movie. I'm going to go out there and be this, pod, be, be this podcast's weird person. I'm going to say that the, huh? mov- the movie is not canon. Something kind <laughs> of like the movie happened, but yeah, it definitely yeah, it's, wasn't that movie. It's It's like... 0.75 canon the movie I guess it's it's just different enough that you can kind of skirt around it like you, you're you're to understand that the basic events like the the broad strokes of the movie 
mostly happened but a bunch of the little details are wrong like the 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 the, the, the moment they said it's in a different galaxy is wrong like, uh, to, everything to having to do with to make to make comparison like to pop to like you, you would know from power, power rangers and twa mm-hmm. it's yeah. like this is the opening of season the opening of mmpr season three to the movie <laughs> yeah yeah i guess it's, it's like uh, it's, it's it's kind of a canon realignment where they go okay we're gonna get to a similar place canon wise but with just enough differences and like set up all the little differences to catch you up before we start the show it's yeah. interesting and i I, I would say that it's it's a good idea to watch the movie before you start watching the show. But even though that's probably not the way most people I, have experienced the series, most people have caught it on in syndication, started following from there, and maybe backfilled after with all the stuff before uh, where they started. I would Honestly, argue surpri- you have to see the movie. <laughs> I'm surprised it, yeah. by how many people you had in the on the other parts of the movie who were like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'd seen the movie and never never, never had any, never followed through on the show. And I'm like, oh, it's like, oh, uh-huh. the, the movie uh-huh. was... Uh, where Where did you see the movie? I legitimately <laughs> I, never heard I, of the movie before, like, a well, couple the, the seasons movie was into on, the show. Ro- it was in rotation on cable movie channels, like afternoon stuff, where they they play, like, a TV edit of it over yeah, two it, hours it and, with TNT commercials. every Saturday for my entire childhood. It was always <laughs> on TV. Like, that, that's probably an American Canadian divide because it's like that's where started, that's where the show was. It was just on yeah. channels all the time. Yeah, I yeah the, the the show well like was heavily syndicated on a bunch of stuff. But I I would say probably on the same channels I saw the show in French. They also aired the movie every once in a while it, it dubbed in French, and it's probably around there. But it's you know movies on TV is not quite the same thing as a TV a syndicated TV yeah. show on TV. It's not the same time slots or anything. But you know. Uh, it's it, it was one of those weekend afternoon TV airing, nothing else is on thing. Uh, for sure, I've seen it a couple times on that. Uh, but yeah, when I first saw the movie, it was on DVD, like on the, at my uncle's place, as I've mentioned before. Uh, All right. Uh, and budget wise, I'm gonna do uh, the first of many comparisons with the TV show I was actually watching uh, when the Stargate uh-huh. SG One aired. Uh, the Farscape mm-hmm. pilot looks a lot better than this pilot. Most, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, most pilots yeah. look better than this pilot. Oh, you're right. Uh, with some exceptions, like most of the Star-, no, uh, the Star Trek Voyager pilot looked really good, but like the TNG, I don't really. I think the DS9 pilot was kind of cheap looking too. I don't remember I'm much. I it's a little unfair to compare the Stargate pilot effects, Sparscape pilot effects wise, since, you know, half of the reason yeah. the show exists was to for the Jim Henson company to show off their effects work. Yeah, that, 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 that's the other thing. Like, yeah, Farscape had had Jim Henson money and expertise behind it, and it's all of those fancy puppets. And what this show has is uh, kind of like me- clangy metal helmets that clearly there's only one of them that even opens, and uh, like reused visual effects from the movie, which they use a lot of. I guess, I guess there's one there's one shot of the glider like late in this episode that was made original for this for this show that is probably a bore a big part of the budget for the pilot went or it's, it was it's a, like or right was towards near the end didn't quite make it into the movie yeah I, but it's clearly like on the vancouver uh like the 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 the, the pine tree forest yeah. uh, location so i don't think they it's it, i don't not. think they reused the effect from from any kind of uh, thing that was done for the movie I, but it's like clearly their cg went there I don't know if Farscape has more money. I mean, I'm going to guess they did. But uh, the reason yeah. they probably got a, 
like in my eyes, it looks better as a pilot is Farscape's mm-hmm. doing a lot more shadow play so they can hide yeah. how cheap something yes. is. This pilot yes. uh, lit like it's an episode of The Office. Like you see oh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very uh, blandly lit. It's very even. Uh with with a couple exceptions for dramatic effect in a couple places, but it's like it's cold lighting where they're on a cold planet, neutral when they're on Earth, and orange when they're on Abydos, and that's it. It's not not much else to it. And yeah, this is this is a cheap looking show, and I'll say, this show gets better looking progressively as it goes forward. Like season one is definitely a step below the rest of the series in terms of production quality. You see the same set come back over and over again. Like it's, it's the, the one set, the yeah, it's 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 really like Star Trek with the the the, the painted like lit up colored background and like. The, the 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 banquet hall set from this episode is reused a bunch of times. Sometimes it's dressed up to become an alien ga- uh, gate room or something. And there's like there's their big spaceship set that looks really good comes in at like I think the last episode of the season, and they, they're gonna reuse that a bunch after that. But yeah, you, you you see the show grow as it goes, and this is definitely like starts from uh, some paper clips and rubber bands and Richard Dean Anderson, and that's your show. Um, <laughs> Funny enough that I should use this example considering yeah. he's MacGyver. Um, uh, one of one of the notes I have here is that the the cold opening with the the yeah. officers playing poker and uh, all yeah. that it it gave me a sense like that scene is a TV show that I would be watching within another TV show. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I know yeah, it wasn't yeah, gonna but... happen, but at any moment I was waiting for the camera to pull back out of a TV. And to have people like in an office break room watching it, like, can you believe another episode of Stargate? Uh-huh. Well, this is the kind of meta joke that they might pull, let's say, somewhere around the 100th and 200th episodes of this show. Uh, <laughs> but you're right that there's like kind of an unseen season of SGC guards guarding nothing where they just hang out and clearly don't think much of their job. And General Hammond is somewhere in the background and he's just like, living out the rest of his tour before he retires, doesn't care much about this. No one knows what the Stargate even is, except maybe Hammond at this point. Uh, it, it gave me yeah. the vibes of when a character in a TV show or a movie is watching like a pastiche of a Doctor Who TV show. Just that yeah. opening, though. Just, just you know, when the woman is abducted by the serpent guard yeah. or the Cobra oh, yeah, commander yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean by like the kind of... Uh, Doctor Who comp- comparison, and there's like a weird wave where these soldiers that are just like red shirts are uh, like that one of them, like the one with the slick back on hair. The keep clear sign. Yeah, the, so the, this one guy is playing poker, probably on the clock while smoking a cigar inside a place where there's positively no fucking way he's allowed to smoke, and his chair is right on top of the keep clear. Uh, like a uh, yellow and black sign on the floor that's in front of the Stargate, clearly signaling that this guy doesn't give a sh- the one single shit about his job. They they were they're they're probably like the Air Force's reject <laughs> that are sent to guard this warehouse that's deep in a mountain, and they don't expect anything to ever happen there. So they spend their nights because this is probably like a night shift of some kind. Judging from the lighting of the scene, uh, they just spend yeah, their nights playing it, poker there. People don't play poker at seven a.m. They they play no, at night. No, no, yeah, it's not like you don't have a plate of eggs in front of you as you're playing poker, right? Yes, it's M and M's and pretzels. If if you uh, do, you exactly. have a serious problem. 
<laughs> yeah, pe people in Vegas do that clearly. Like they go to the breakfast buffet and back to the ta the, the craps table or whatever. Um, but not here. This is just a friendly uh, nightly game of poker that these people have clearly been doing for like. A, a while at this point, if not a year. Uh, the lady is probably a little bit newer to this gang because she asks them if they're worried that someone is going to come down there and shoot them out for this. And uh, the slick back uh, douchebag guy takes the cigar out of his mouth and says, trust me, no, nobody ever comes down here but us. This is clearly the forgotten warehouse, like the, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark thing where, where all the crates are piled up and no one cares about what's in, what's in there. That's uh, actually just down the hall. Yeah, <laughs> but they're yeah. they're the for a rude awakening because uh, uh -huh. the, the yeah snake people are on their way. Mm -hmm. This lead, this lady clearly feels that something is up because she sees out of the corner of her eye, kind of wind blowing through the tarp that is covering the Stargate. Because uh, as we know, the Stargate is right there. It's it's identical to the set from the movie. It's probably um, the same prop, at least at this point. It's only yeah, been a couple. It's, it's only been like a couple uh, years. It's it's been three years. So like, unless they dismantled the prop and rebuilt it, it's probably the same one they use. You're right. Um, so like, she walks up there to investigate because she feels that something spooky is up. Um, sorry. Um, so yeah, as she does that, the the whole the whole floor starts to rumble and like kind of shake a little bit, and there's like the 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 metal ram goes. And everyone's like, wait, what's going on? Uh, the Stargate starts to spin and creates such a commotion that it blows the tarp right off of it. And uh, so all the guards are now alerted, obviously. Uh, they remember that their job is to guard this place, so they reach for their guns. To their credit, they're, they're not too poker-struck to not do anything about it. Uh, they get the guns. One of them uh, goes to the red phone on the floor and, and starts calling for an alert. Uh, none of these guards have clearly needed to know what the Stargate is, so they have no idea what this thing is. Uh, you'd think you'd so, have at least someone on shift who knows what might happen. No, it's it's like the, these people, these are airmen, they're not even officers, they're, I, I don't know if airmen are actually officers, uh, like put, Air Force. Put, put Freddy out there, like, what what the hell's Freddy gonna do? He, he was... Freddy's retired along with every, I, I guess he's a major no no right he's not retired we're it's gonna see that on, later only, only O'Neill's retired if it's yeah. the same guy we just not it's not he has two L's in his last name this exactly time. Um, so yeah uh, Stargate turns on they all kind of point their guns at it cautiously the lady goes right up to it and wants to touch the thing because she's, you know, she was real worried about it, but I guess she's curious about it now. Uh, before her hand touches the event horizon, a little metal ball comes, like, tumbling out of the thing, and uh, it kind of, like, pops up a little orange scanner thing that scans her. Uh, of course, since she's never seen a sci-fi show of any kind before, she kneels down and picks it up instead of going, oh, shit, some aliens just scanned me, I should get out of here. Um... No, she she bends down, picks it up, stands there right in front of the Stargate, only for our buddy Teal'c to come walking right out of it, covered head to toe in this uh, snake armor we mentioned, uh, with a like uh, with a big uh, snake head that looks a little bit like the 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 the, the sorry the bird and uh, jackal heads that the, the guards had in the movie. 
uh, only much cheaper, of course. I mean, it doesn't and look then, that bad. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. much it cheaper than the movie, but it's it's okay. It's okay for yeah. 90s yeah, it's, TV it, sci-fi. It, it, it's okay for what it is. Also, keep in mind, this was a standard definition show on old TVs, so like you wouldn't see as much detail as you do now when you were watching this originally. Uh, I'll say like the, the, the metal parts look fine, if a little light. Like they wobble a little too much for what they're supposed to be, and the the, the cloth parts of the armor kind of just look cheap, in my opinion. Like um, the, and I'll, yeah, I also say yeah, it looks bad when it when they do, when it does the opening, but like in the fully open and fully closed, it's it's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Uh, you don't see them like open right in front of the camera much, except these couple times here. I guess they have at least two helmets that open because the first one that opens is the one covering Apophis's head because he's decked out in a fully golden-ish uh, Jaffa armor along with uh, the rest of his uh, of his guards that have a darker metallic hued version of the same armor. I guess this is his uh, combat armor. Uh, he opens, he says, I think he says his first Jaffa Kree right there, which is, uh, hey everyone, that's our tagline if you didn't get it. Uh, that's what it's from. Kree is gold uh, for Smurf. Yep. Kree just means, hello, what's up, listen up, yoohoo, as uh, Daniel is gonna explain in a few seasons when someone asks him about it. Uh, and Teal'c also opens his uh, helmet right next to Apophis, uh, while he's holding the the lady there, he picks up the 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 gun that she has and like kind of looks at it and goes, "What is this? I don't recognize this. This is a weird planet, clearly." Uh, so then Apophis grabs this lady, uh, he uses his, his little hand torture device thing, which also has a stun setting apparently because he just uses it to knock her out. Uh, she doesn't seem to be in pain or tortured the way the guy who uh, got the, the receiving end of this in the movie did so add one more uh, setting uh, one more use to this uh, piece of tech uh, so one of the guards of course doesn't like what he's seeing yells at, at uh, Apophis and Teal to let this lady go let her go and uh, the, the, the other Jaffa whose face we don't see respond to this by starting to shoot them with their staff weapons so big firefight ensues uh, so long for male guards that were in this opening scene because they all die at this point. Uh, they just get shot by uh, the Jaffa. They, they shoot back with their guns. Uh, clearly, the, these armors uh, offer some form of protection against gunfire because uh, you see the, the shots plink, plink, plink on them a bunch, but one of them does... Uh, one of the Jaffa does die from gunfire uh, in this scene. Uh, so yeah, then uh, yeah. also the, the 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 dude with the slick back hair and who was uh, smoking a cigar earlier has time to reach the phone and yell into it that they're under attack before he gets shot and dies too. Uh, so yeah, now all the guards yeah, are we dead. Need, we need uh, we need one of the snake guys to die so that later on we can learn their uh, space kangaroos. Yep. Yep. Yep, exactly. This is uh, it's it's important for exposition, and also it's gonna give them a convenient staff weapon and snake armor that they can use later in the series for purposes. So it's good. It's 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 a lucky shot that this guy happened to die there. Um, so yeah, uh, Apophis uh, yells at his Jaffa to uh, start dialing the gate back, which at this point, like, it cuts back. How? D- it, it cuts how to shots do of they soldiers. 
how do they yeah. navigate? Now, so we don't see it happen. Clearly, like the SGC has computers in the control room that dial the gate. I don't think these Jaffa or Teal'c would be able to go up there and type into the computer clickety clack, I mean, know have the to password go through, like, to turn all the it on. That all the soldiers yeah. come from in the next no. scene. Right, exactly. So my guess is that they dial it manually, even though they seem to do it really fast. Uh, my further guess is that, is that we're not really supposed to think about it much. They just do. But uh, yeah, I guess the only way they could do that that we're aware of is to dial it manually, um, which is which would be slow. But then, then again, there's like five Jaffa there, and these guys are strong. So maybe they can do it pretty fast. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, all the guards come in, and also General Hammond right there is in the in the doorframe with all the guards, which seems like a bad thing for a general to do, to just go right where there's an alert and stand in the room where he could pot- potentially get shot by the people there. Uh, but I guess we needed to see him because and see that he's played by our buddy Donis Davis, who played like a military guy on Twin Peaks. So I've only ever seen this guy play generals or shit or something like that. So it's pretty funny that he has such a typecast role, I, I guess. I think partially the bit here is like with the way he reacts to actually seeing them. It's like yeah. he knew the, he had the reports from the previous from the previous yeah. target operation, but he didn't believe it. Uh-huh. Also, like he has to be there to see Apophis's eyes glow to confirm that this is a gold the same as Raw, because he did read the report that mentioned this fact. Uh, so yeah, Apophis gives uh, Hammond a nice big old stare back, and his eyes glow, and then he closes his helmet. They walk through the Stargate, Stargate shuts off, and then everyone there who's still alive. Oh, they they took the the lady guard with them, by the way, if that wasn't clear. I don't know if we mentioned that. Uh, who does say she's a sergeant later, so I'm sorry for saying they're airmen or not officers or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so Hammond like, walks up to on the ramp to the Stargate and just stares at it, dumbfounded, because he doesn't understand whatever just happened. And that's the end of the, of the cold, ho- cold open. So we get... Oh, excuse me, just a second. All right. We get a repeat of uh, the, the the movie's opening with the, the slow pan over the the pharaoh head thing, which is going to be replaced next episode by the syndication opening, which is a more much more exciting uh, collage of shots from the first two seasons. Unfortunately, um, it doesn't have the lyrics, but, but right now, no. No, it doesn't. We still like if if you listen to. Uh, if you listen to the podcast you're listening to right now, you know that the opening song that we use is the Stargate theme with lyrics. Uh, if you're wondering where, where these lyrics come from, they're from a DVD commentary from one of the episodes where uh, three of the show's creative staff just sing these lyrics over the opening for fun and giggles, I guess. They, they'd written them beforehand because clearly they're all in unison. Um, that's what it comes from. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's not ever on the show with lyrics obviously, because this is a serious grown-up sci-fi show it's for adults. Uh, I, uh-huh. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we get back to the show and open on presumably Chicago, question mark, even though, I don't know, I it, it would actually make more sense to believe that O'Neill moved to Colorado somewhere, considering how quickly he's going to get back home with Daniel later in the episode. Um, oh, what he does think he's from to- Chicago. Like, be guessing where this show would... I just presumed everywhere was Vancouver. He's just in <laughs> no, southern it, Vancouver. Yeah. He's in Vancouver on the... On a very nice, like, 
gallery porch on top of his house looking in his telescope uh, at the stars uh, while uh, Air Force people, much like in the movie, come over and talk to him to try to recruit him once again for the Stargate. Uh, we have our buddy here, old rat face Major Samuels, who's going to be a real bastard, like just later in this episode and ongoing <laughs> over the rest of at least the first season, if not the first couple seasons. Uh, lovely, lovely character actor playing guys who who look extremely punchable. Um, I, I do like the little bit so, he has talking to uh, the Air Force guy about how, like, looking at when he's looking at this guy and tells tells him it's like you should go go get a NASA. That's where all the real action's going to be. It's like he knows that they weren't done from the uh-huh. Stargate. He knows shit's going to happen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I I like that O'Neill came back home to Earth and immediately assumed, well, clearly that's going to move into like NASA's uh, jurisdiction and they're going to take over from here because this is all about space, even though NASA barely ever gets another mention through the whole series and it's all Air Force, but it's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, Samuels comes over and like O'Neill, who, who took up like hobbyist astronomy in the meantime, who's looking at a different galaxy through his telescope, uh, basically he tells Samuels, well, you should quit because there's space shit if you weren't even He doesn't say it because he doesn't know this guy knows about it, I guess. Um, Samuels tells him, well, okay, I was sent here by General Hammond to get you. O'Neill's like, I don't know who that is. Uh, Samuels tells him, he replaced General West. Remember, mustache guy from the movie? Uh, it's about the Stargate. I, I, you should I probably don't. come. I watched the movie three <laughs> weeks ago and I... <laughs> They could have made up names. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, oh, General uh, West, what? Uh, uh, G- General Hammond, he replaced Captain Crunch. Either way, get, get your ass to the Stargate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, uh, General West was in, was in the movie. He was the guy with the mustache. He was uh, at the briefing scene where uh, Daniel was explaining the coordinates stuff. I mean, his, and later on, his he's... His job is uh, to make Daniel. faces when, Sorry. when James Spader just, like... Writes on a chalkboard weird and whole, and like hands out paper. Yep. Yeah. And he's he's the one wh- who's there with O'Neill when when Daniel tells them that he can for sure dial the gate back and like he authorizes here's, the mission and he disappears from the movie after that point. Here's my de- uh, here's my debatable point. Very controversial. Uh, you are not describing a character. They could have put a mustache <laughs> no. on a chair. No. <laughs> yeah. Serve the same purpose. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked just as well and. Doesn't really matter anyway, because he's not back for this series. They replaced him with a different, more charismatic guy, uh, played by Don S. Davis. Uh, so yeah, uh, O'Neill, by the way, now played, we haven't even mentioned it in this episode, but now played by Richard Dean Anderson, who doesn't look at all like Kirk Russell's, yeah, not even like a little the bit. one year's time, uh, he's aged but, like 10 years. <laughs> oh, he's aged a bunch, yeah. What? I think Richard Dean Anderson was like 45 by this point or something. What? Much we, older than Kurt Russell was. What do we think of Richard Dean Anderson as an actor? I like him. I, I, I think clearly Richard Dean Anderson is a really good improviser. Like he, this, if, if this guy didn't do improv, he should have because he's great at just being funny I've on the spot. I've never really seen him as anything uh, other than O'Neill, but I, I do like him a lot as O'Neill, uh-huh. so... Yeah. Okay, so I, I've seen a fair amount of MacGyver. Uh, O'Neill is older MacGyver. I believe that. Uh, uh-huh. I think he has he has incredible presence, and he's very charismatic. Uh, I think Richard Dean Anderson probably has one character that he can play well, and we're going to see uh-huh. a lot of it. 
that that uh, that's, yeah. seems likely. Yeah, it's uh, well, the 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 MacGyver sometimes get really upset in a really heartbreaking way, and like you could see like either anger or sadness in his eyes in a way that really made you feel sad. Uh, no, because he does that. He does that a bunch as O'Neill, and like that's the side of him that like there's an episode in uh in a few where that deals directly with his backstory with his son that really fucking broke my heart in great part because Richard Dean Anderson really sold it really well. I'll be honest, I think um, he sells... MacGyver was not a show... I think he sells that story MacGyver better. was not a show for deep emotion. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. I, most of the time, O'Neill is more one to break the tension than create it. Uh, he has, like, three basic modes. He has goofy mode, angry mode, and... Uh, like depressed mode, I guess, but or but he anyway he I think he's pretty good. Uh, he's like at least good enough to like on the on the level for this show. Uh, everyone like the main, the main cast is all pretty good, I would say. Uh, they they have some room to grow, I guess. Uh, Michael Shanks and uh, Amanda Tapping, they start off like they they're not bad in this, but I feel like they grow into their characters a lot more. Uh, as the show goes this, along, this episode and, is uh, real rough O'Neil on kinda, Amanda Tapping, Samantha Carter. We'll get yeah, to that. Well, because the, the script is really bad for her. No, it's not, it's not really her fault. It's more the script's fault. But yeah, um, so, but and yeah, Christopher Judge is when he gets stuff to do, he's really good. He does get stuff. And honestly, like, even when he doesn't get episode, much to do, he he delivers his indeeds very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does that. Uh, See, there are some episodes where Teal appears and has maybe two words in the entire script. It's it's pretty like I, I rough like for the, him sometimes. The Christopher Judge made a joke at some point at a convention where he's like, "Oh, you know, no, early in the series it was easy. I'd go in, I'd say a couple of indeed, stand menacingly behind ri- behind Richard and get a paycheck. Yeah. Now they won't stop giving me uh-huh. lines. I yep. have to talk the whole time. Uh-huh. Cause like when he got the, 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 the episode that centers around him, which is like, uh, halfway through the season, he really nails it and knocks it out of the park and everyone loves him. So they realize at this point we should probably give him stuff to do. Uh, I'm gonna I also say, love how, uh, that guy pops on screen. Oh, he does. Oh, he does. He's uh, a presence. They, yeah. they, they picked, they picked him for his physicality and his voice for sure before any other th- and anything else and he just yeah he, he they found a a, a real good I, and just, actor in the in Tilk the deal just in the honestly process. such a good character like he's like your stock wharf stern alien warrior guy but he yep. sells it so much better yep. than most of the other types like that and doesn't get his ass kicked yeah, as often he does as often uh-huh. no yeah so, so, sometimes when there's like yeah he gets like a weird virus, like, and he falls for it, even though he's supposed to be immune to really tell that it's dangerous. So that's kind of similar to. I, I eagerly await the episode where this gentleman has a barrel fall on his uh, spine and breaks his spine and asks someone to kill him. <laughs> I don't think that happens, I, I, but he does get fucked up. A plot line for next generation. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember that. It's not. It's not so much like a question of honor and dying like a warrior for him. It's more a question of like. It, it's more a, a pragmatic approach to things. Like he has a very uh, warrior-like culture that he comes from, but like they don't. They they're they're not just going to sacrifice themselves for honor or anything like that. It's more like, well, I care a whole lot about my family and stuff, and I don't want them or my friends to to be harmed. So I'm gonna like jump into the fray and like jump over a grenade for them because I care about them. That's 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 mostly 
the angle he's coming from. And also, he's really stoic, and Christopher Judge is the least stoic guy imaginable if you see him out of character. Super big goofball. Uh, and apparently he had a really hard time keeping a straight face a lot of the time because Richard Dean Anderson is very much a class clown and he kept making stupid jokes and Christopher Judge was always a mark for them and everything. And it's it sounds like it was really fun to, to be on that set with these people. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, O'Neill, uh, upon hearing the word Stargate, uh, gets right on the car because he wears the same outfit all the way over to Colorado, which is why I hope this house was not in Chicago, um, because that's a long, I think that's a long drive. I don't actually know. I, is Illinois next to Colorado? I wouldn't know. I'm not American. Um, <laughs> um, don't worry. Most Americans don't know American geography. You're yeah, fine. It's so Midwest to Midwest. That's probably right next states. door, right? Um, yeah, we, too have, many. we have like, 10, we have 10 13 with the territories. It's much easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's easier. Much easier. You want us to um, fill, put 13 stars on a flag? No, we need all 50. <laughs> you used to have 13. It was fine. <laughs> have 13 stripes. Uh, <laughs> I Go back to the old flag, the old American flag. That's No, that's that's a dumb position to take for this. In, in no, I don't care about tradition. the American flag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, flags flags are bad. All flags. Banish, ban, ban flags. All flags. AFAB. From all countries. Um, yep. <laughs> AFAB, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, they go down one elevator. They have to sign into a sign-in sheet. Uh, Samuels, uh, no, it's not Samuels. This guy explains that they have to go down a second elevator to get down to the SGC. Uh, O'Neill says he knows that. He's been there before. Uh, little uh, lore note. It's not much. Well, I guess it is lore. Uh, this is supposed to take place under in the real life Shane Mountain uh, military complex which in real life is where uh, the NORAD HQ and a nuclear missile silo are and the, the fiction of this show is that uh, when you get down to NORAD you take a second secret elevator down and you go all the way down this to the This is actually Stargate why command. they go to the nuke plant uh, so fast because they just have to go down the hall to get one. They... Uh, yeah, they, they, they do have nukes right there because it's, it's in the same facility, I guess. Uh, and also, apparently, like a little funny note, uh, at NORAD, there's apparently a broom closet that's labeled Stargate Command. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the Air Force. That's just, the Air Force loved it. this show so much. They love this show. They, it's it all all the Air Force uniform and regalia and everything in this show is very authentic because the Air Force was actually consulting them. It's a whole the, the, Captain Marvel thing. This show walked so the MCU uh, could but, run. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, you, if you see any like uh, Air Force extras in the background that are They're just guarding the place, uh, fair odds these are real. Yeah, they they might be real airmen. Uh, I, I just hope they're uh, members of SAG. I just hope they got paid. If, if yeah, if I mean they they got yeah, paid extra. Ex- uh, maybe I mean, not actually. Actually, I don't know. That might be a weird exception. You, 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 you need yeah yeah you need to have lines to be a member but of SAG or vice versa ex- or something. There's a separate right? extra it's a different skill pay in Canada. I I don't know yeah. if. And this is shot in Canada, which is, you know, weird that the U.S. military has such a high stake on a show that is produced completely in Canada. But anyway, uh, I guess that ship has sailed because it's been off the air for 15 years, among other things. Um, anyway, uh, they go all the way to Hammond's office, 
uh, where Samuels introduces O'Neill as Colonel O'Neill. Uh, O'Neill spe- specifies that he's retired, indicating that he has no interest in going on whatever mission this is about is about to happen here. Um, Hammond tries to make some small talk, says, you know, I'm close to retirement myself. I'm about to write a book. You ever think of writing a book? And O'Neill makes a little joke, says, well, okay, but if I wrote a book, I would have to shoot anyone who reads it. Completely, Hammond completely no-sells this joke, doesn't react even a little bit. No sense of humor, apparently, which is, you know, which is a way this character is going to grow over the course of this series, I guess. Because um, he, he might be uh, a stern, fatherly figure, but he wouldn't be the kind of type to never laugh at a joke this way. I, I mean, guess, it's a, he's trying it's a, to. It's a scary situation uh, for him right now. He he thought he was just like biding time, and yeah. now he's in the middle of a yeah. big incident. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, well, he's very upset clearly, and also he's trying to like uh, project an air of authority and uh, stoicism to this colonel. This retired colonel who walks into his office with a leather jacket clearly doesn't respect much and clearly some, has something fishy about the report he made about the Stargate mission he was on because he's about to grill him about that. Um, so they go down to the infirmary where this one doctor who doesn't show up much later because there's another doctor character who is much more present on this show uh, shows them the corpse of the Jaffa they found. Uh, this is where we first see that pouch they have on their belly that is like X-shaped. Uh, he explains that they, I guess they dug their little heads in there and found out it's a pouch for like a marsupial. Weirdly enough, didn't find a Gua'uld in there, I guess, because they, he doesn't mention that. And when they see them later on, it's like a surprise to them. I don't know like if the Gua'uld was absorbed into the body or self-destructed or, or whatever if there's well, I mean, any kind of explanation about that half, it did what that one did it's just someone else already has one. Oh yeah uh-huh that would be a hell of a twist because i don't think this is following i mean there are a lot of I guess like, there devils are... just suddenly on earth in later seasons with no explanation yeah that's tr- that that's true one of them could have come from here it's not Seth, because Seth has been yeah. around for longer than this, but anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, they ask O'Neill, do, do, does that look familiar to you? Well, uh, okay. Uh, no, sorry, they don't ask him that. Uh, Hammond explains, uh, well, uh, a bunch of these guys came through the Stargate, shot four people dead, kidnapped another one, and then left. And uh, what the fuck, man? Um, they they assume that uh, the dude who was there was Ra, obviously, because uh, the only people alive who have seen uh, Ra with their own eyes, uh, none of them are in this room or were at the SGC I, at the time. I did like one um, bit with this these bit in the scene. It's like they're all surprised that Odile could at- turn on the staff weapon, and it's like it's it's, it's a switch. <laughs> he pulled a switch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sa- Sa- Samuel says we haven't figured out how to the operate safety. them. And it works I'm exactly give like it- your guns. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I- I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and 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 think he meant we don't know how the technology works. We don't understand how they function, and not literally. I haven't thought of flicking the switch that's on the handle to turn it on and shoot it because, like, I'm pretty sure, like they, they in the movie. 
O'Neill figured out one of these like immediately when he had it between his hands. It doesn't seem that complicated. There's a button on it. You press it to shoot, right? Um, I guess uh, the the, the <laughs> I don't know. I don't even hey. know what to say about that. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so they start grilling O'Neill a little more. They say, you know, is there any possible way that? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, they they ask him. So could, could these people have come from Abydos, like uh, in any possible way? And O'Neill says, "Well, the people we saw there were human, and they didn't have these weird uh, belly pouches. Which I guess it's possible that there were no actual Jaffa well, I mean, in the movie, the, and this is the like Jaffa, them justifying that. If there were any, they would have been the guys in the armor, and he didn't really get a look at their." Yeah, that's that's the other thing. Like maybe he just didn't see any of those slits. Uh, but uh, obviously, when they made the movie, that that concept didn't exist anyway. But like um, we, most of the people anyway, on, uh, in Abydos are like they're they're like dressed for a desert. They have like enough bare skin that you would have noticed if any of the random pe- randos were. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So having questions him a little more and, he, and uh, he says but like Ra was an alien right he says yeah well he was possessing a human body and his eyes glowed that was weird uh, so that uh, turns a, uh, flicks the switch in Hammond's head and he says uh, are you sure he's dead and O'Neill says well we did blow him blow him up with the nuke so I'm pretty sure yeah and Hammond says well I saw the guy who came through the Stargate and his eyes glowed uh like at this point, still assuming that this guy is raw, even now, though that's not we, we yeah, know that's not O'Neil's the case. question then should have been okay. So the guy whose eyes glowed, did he look like a twink? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he looked more like glam and kind of borderline camp. Actually, oh, it's not the same guy. All right, um, more of a wolf. <laughs> yeah, more of a snake type than a sun type. If if. Uh, if that makes sense, any sense. Uh, so, yeah, they, they walk back to Hammond's office. On the way there, through an open door, uh, O'Neill spots Kowalski and Ferretti walking through, who look nothing like they did before, so it's good, It's a good thing that O'Neill is the one who names them right there, because that's French... Ferretti was French Stewart, and the guy, the actor they picked, who looks more like French Stewart, actually plays Kowalski, so... Um, doesn't matter much, but uh, they're right there, clearly yeah, being that questioned me up as in the well, movie because I which thought makes sense. French Stewart was Kowalski for the whole thing and kept getting infused. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna say it's probable that he was like he he went in there because he looks like French Stewart and he was gonna be Ferretti, and they decided to cast him as Kowalski because Kowalski Richard has Dean Anderson more forgot which was which at the last minute purpose. during filming and just kind of went uh-huh. and they just got stuck with it. They went with it, maybe. Yeah. But, like, the thing is, like, Freddy has very few lines in this and quickly disappears from the series, and Kowalski has more to do. Uh, weirdly enough, even though, yeah, French Stewart had more personality in the movie. I don't know. It's it's a weird situation. Um, so. Uh, I have an update. Yeah. Uh, I, just Sorry, looked, I just looked through gay terminology. Uh, none of them really fit uh, the, the villain <laughs> of this episode. Mainly because uh, he is hairless. So he's not a wolf and he's not an otter. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, wow, otter. I didn't, didn't know that one. It's a small bear. Uh, That's what I get at. Okay, okay. Thank you. Uh, as the, 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 the token straight of this show, uh, it's, it's nice to be, <laughs> to be informed of these things. Um, 
All right. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, O'Neill at this point says, well, okay, clearly there's something's up if you're questioning all these people. Uh, so, what, what, are you going to get to the point here? Uh, so, Hammond starts asking him about Daniel. Um, he says, what what'd you think of him? I don't know what, what, where he's trying to get from there. It's like, uh, I think, I, I don't know, like, he, Hammond maybe senses that Daniel isn't dead and that, uh, maybe their, their friendship, like, made, made O'Neill, uh, reconsider the new clan or, or, or something. Like, even worse, he's implying that, like, Daniel defected to the, to, like, the aliens with Ra, which, yeah. that's a bit of a leap, but. Yeah. That's that's the other option. I guess Hyman doesn't know what to think at this point. He's just like tossing everything he can at the wall. Um, oh no! Wait, no. What Hyman is trying to get to here he, is he asks O'Neill. So you didn't like him much, right? Well, O'Neill says, "Well, he was a geek. He sneezed a lot. Whatever. Like, I did. I I didn't like him at first, but you know, he grew on me because we were on that adventure together. That happens, right?" Okay. Um, and really, like, the movie O'Neill would be like, well, I didn't like him because I didn't like anybody. I don't like anybody. I hate everybody. Uh-huh. A- except yeah, my, my yeah. two adopted gun sons. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so then Hammond gets closer to the point at this point and says, so your mission was to go there, and if you found enemies, to detonate a nuke, right? O'Neill uh, starts sweating and says, uh, y- yeah, yeah, that was the mission. Uh, then Samuels gets to the point and says, well, you didn't do that. Uh, and only tries to weasel out of it by saying, well, okay, no, not at first. They took, they took the nuke and captured us and stuff and we had to fight them first. And, and then Samuels gets even closer to the point and says, okay, but then you won and you got the nuke back and you blew it up, right? And Hammond says, so everyone on that planet is dead now, right? And O'Neill is practically crying at this point as he says, yes! And then Hammond goes, okay, well, since you clearly think I'm a fucking idiot, I'm going to send a nuke over to that planet and kill everyone there now. Okay, bye! Because, um, <laughs> like, I don't I don't believe for a second that Hammond actually buys O'Neill's cover story here. He's just bluffing. Yeah. But he's bluffing with an actual nuke, <laughs> which is intense. Also, this is the first time we're gonna um, s- we see a Nakuda warhead, which we're going to see a lot of those. Yeah, he's. Specif- oh wait, is it? He, he, he says it's a Mark that it's III. It's made from the stuff from. Oh wow! Okay, the quartz material the targets are made of. No, he says the material must oh, be okay, tough if it can withstand the the nuke. No, he, they, they they don't have any Nakoda to put on their nuke because that that would be crazy. Because considering we know it makes a, a nuke a hundred times did. deadlier. Okay, no. Um, but he, he does say, this is a better nuke than the one we used last time. We're going to make extra sure this one blows up, right? Yeah, they used class 3, and he specifies this is class 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's two more. It's, it's, it's these, more these blowing are, these up. These are words uh, that mean things. <laughs> uh-huh. Numbers. Bigger numbers. Um, uh, they walk into the gate room uh, where O'Neill can barely hide his hand anymore because he looks at uh, the, the technicians there finishing putting the nuke together uh, and putting the timer in and it's it reads 40 minutes 20 nice um, uh, 
uh, O'Neill has <laughs> some uh, uh, serious misgivings about this whole plan at this point, clearly. Uh, he's trying to... What's, he, uh, Last-ditch effort trying to convince him not to do that without revealing uh, his secret... Uh, no, you can't do that. And Hammond basically smirks to himself and says, yep, I'm going to send the nuke over. I'm going to blow it up unless there's something you haven't told me. <laughs> Which is pretty funny because, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a hell of a thing to like call someone's bluff with a nuke. Uh, but he does that and O'Neill walks up to him. Hammond turns towards him and says to his face, you didn't blow up the fucking nuke, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, he says, no, wait, we blew it up. Okay. And well, uh, we kind of beamed it up to the ship, which was in orbit. So it blew up the ship and raw, but didn't affect anything on the planet. Right. Uh, so if you send that nuke over, it's going to kill everyone there, including Daniel, who stayed there, by the way. Ha <laughs> ha! Surprise! Um, uh, so Hammond says, all right, um, knowing all of this, I'm still going to send a nuke and put you in a, like, not a holding cell, but, like, confined to quarters or something. It's weird. Like, he, he goes to, like, a, a little room, I guess. Um, he grounds him. <laughs> Yeah, he you know, he says take Colonel O'Neill to the holding room. So I guess it's 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 not quite a brig or a cell, but it is somewhere where he is under guard. It can't go anywhere. Um, so uh, yeah, we got to the holding room and here he's laying uh, down. No, wait, he's not. Kowalski is there. Uh, he's being held there too, I guess, because since they all lied on their report together, they're all subject to court martial or something at this sure. point. Uh, they don't really like elaborate on that, but I guess that's what's going on. Uh, so Kowalski is laying down in the bottom bunk of this room. He sees O'Neill walk in, uh, stands up to attention, salutes him, says Colonel O'Neill. O'Neill uh, says, well, I'm retired. You don't have to salute me anymore. They shake hands. Uh, they tell him they didn't say anything, which is, you know... Uh, he says that, but they're clearly in a room under surveillance, and they clearly heard that, so... Uh, good hiding stuff, Kowalski. I guess. Um, uh, I gotta, I gotta make a note here. Whoever is yeah. playing these guys, uh, they are not mm-hmm. French Stewart. No. They do not. No, have they're that, not. The the sheer magnetism of French no, Stewart. Definitely not. Yeah, yeah. But well, for yeah, for starters, it's not it's not the French Stewart character. It's Kowalski, which was the other guy, uh, Freddy. I think we're going to see Ferretti in, the, in like a couple of scenes, but he's not in this one. He's like in the briefing. This is just a one-on-one with Kowalski and, uh, and O'Neill, where they just reminisce and remember Skara specifically. And O'Neill pretty much uh, tells him, uh, s- uh, spells out the subtext of, of the movie, which was, you know, uh, I lost my kid. Well, he doesn't say right away he lost his kid, but he says, Skara reminded me of my son, and that's why I took a liking to him. And Kowalski says, oh, wow, I didn't even know you had a son. Uh, which, I don't, I'm not sure that's possible, because I, I feel like he mentioned it in the, the movie. Anyway. Um, and uh, that's when O'Neill tells him that he died, so that we can... like so, so, so that's what I meant when I said that I feel like they, they're catching people up who haven't seen the movie. They're kind of like... It's, it's really cliff notes, but they are like stating all the important character and plot points from the, from the movie especially in, in this first half of the episode, which is very talky. Um, 
yeah, so uh, after they're done uh, rem- reminiscing and like reminding the audience that O'Neill had a son who died, uh, the door opens, they stand up, and that's Hammond right there who walks in and asks them, well, how many people are on Abydos, you said? O'Neill says, about 5,000, which... I, I, when I saw this episode, I, I felt like that was way too much for what we saw in the movie, but like there was a pretty big crowd scenes in that movie, so maybe actually, maybe not 5,000, but they made a good show of having a lot of people on that planet in the movie. 5,000, that's that's like two uh, high schools in the heart of Philadelphia. So okay, they- yeah, you're right. It's it's way less than that, but that we saw. We saw maybe a couple hundred people in the movie, yeah. right? Yeah, five thousand uh, in is the big like crowd a bit much, shot. But yeah, we're we're meant to like paint outside Just the frame assume. here and yeah. say, well, O'Neill saw people. Doesn't mean we saw them. Yeah. Uh, so Hammond kind of sighs and like seems to have a regretful look on his face, and O'Neill seizes upon that and says, uh, "Does that mean you're not gonna send a nuke through?" And Hammond says, "And Hammond says, well, oh, I'm I'm open to suggestions." And O'Neill uh, says, "What obviously is the better answer to this?" He says, "Well, we're gonna do like the movie and just go through there and talk to them and see if Jack if Daniel is there." And uh, try to sort all this out. And like Hyman points out that, well, for all they know, Jack's, uh, everyone on that planet is already dead and they'd be walking into an ambush. And O'Neill says, haha, I have an idea to find that out. And he, his great. No, wait, sorry. Hammond picks up on it and says, uh, okay, we can just send a probe that we need to have shipped over from MIT, which I guess is going to take at least a couple days. Um, but uh, O'Neill says, "No, no, we don't. We don't need that. We don't need to waste five million dollars of taxpayer money on this. Uh, we can just have take this Kleenex box right here uh, and uh, dial the Stargate at once again great expense." Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, like while while they're waiting for the gate to be dialed, uh, Kowalski says he doesn't get it, and O'Neill says, "Well, Daniel has allergies, right? He's on an alien planet. He's gonna need these, He's, and he'll know it comes from someone who knows him because, like, because uh, if if he sees the probe go through, he might like just bash it, and because he doesn't want to be found right. by the army, right? What, um, what allergies do we think Daniel has that are being triggered by a, an all sand desert planet? I mean, dust." Like, people are aller- allergic to dust. It looks pretty dusty. Uh, you're right. That It's probably not you a know, big if he, pollen if he planet. Had a, if he had a dust uh, allergy, he went into the wrong line of work. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're right. Maybe maybe it's like, an, uh, uh, like a character origin. Like, he, he, he wanted to uh, overcome his limitations and go through the field. Um, while they're dialing the gate, we get a, a close-up shot of the keyboard, and it's pretty cute because all the like target symbols are on the keys of the keyboard. So Walter, uh, by the way, this guy with the glasses, his name is Walter. A fact that is going to be established in, I think, season four. He's not. He's going to be. He's going to have a couple different names on the way there. It's kind of a weird joke, um, but like as he's calling out the Stargate, he's just typing the 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 symbols directly on his keyboard, which is neat. Uh, have to wonder uh, if the the if the Hewlett Packard or whoever made that keyboard custom for them had to sign an NDA of what they were putting on the keys of that keyboard. Uh, but anyway, 
Um, I guess if we start, we're just getting down the who makes Batman shit rabbit hole at this point if we start questioning that. Um, so they turn the Stargate on. Uh, O'Neill just walks right up to it with the tissue box in his hands. Uh, he stands right in front of it. And then Richard Dean Anderson, uh, he, he doesn't make like, he doesn't chew the scenery with it or anything. He's not hammy, but he does like, it's, it's always almost comedic the way he like, whoop, just tosses the, the box through the Stargate. Um, and just stands there. <laughs> and then we cut back to Walter, who's clearly kind of peeved that they're using the Stargate for this. He says, The um, object should reach final destination in five seconds. It's like he's they insulted or something. It's weird. That makes no sense, uh, but it's still there. <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, on a 2D map, don't know how that's gonna work in any possible way. Uh, how they can track. Uh, cardboard box filled with paper through a wormhole. Like, it's, there's not even any electronics on there to, like, ping a radar signal off of or anything. It's weird. Anyway. At, at that um, point, you wouldn't be tracking the uh, cardboard box. You would just be tracking the trail. Like, the, the, right. the water tube. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they have some way of tracking the wormhole, which is what we're meant to assume, because, yeah, it's Technobabble at this point. Sam figured it out. She programmed the stuff into the computer. Uh, we're going to meet her, like, next scene, uh, or two scenes, I guess. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, Hammond says, well, now what? Or Simmons says that. <laughs> uh, and says, well, O'Neill says, well, he's going to get it, and then he's, if he's still alive, he's going to call us back, and we'll know he's fine. And... <laughs> Samuels asks a great question, which is, what if the aliens get it? And O'Neill answers the stupid question with a stupid answer. Well, they could be blowing their noses right now, which is great. I love it. Richard Dean Anderson, you are good. Even though that's probably not an ad-lib line, uh, it's pretty good. Um, so, uh, yeah, O'Neill says, this could take some time, which I guess he's assuming that maybe he's only going to send it back once he's naturally gone through the whole box instead of just actually or, calling or back right away, which is kind you know, of weird. back in the village and <laughs> he's not at the gate right now, so it's going to take like an hour or two to get to yeah, him. Yeah, it's, it's a long trek there. Like, yeah, someone like uh, some Abydos uh, native would get the box, not know what it is, worry about it, hide from it for five minutes or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, we caught... I, I don't know how much time is supposed to have elapsed there, but we cut back to a different scene where everyone's waiting, and the gate starts dialing and opens up again. So they go down there. Uh, all the people have guns, guns pointed at it right away now, because you don't know anymore if aliens are going to show up through this thing. Um, uh, and then they wait, they wait, tension builds, and what flies out of the gate, but the same tissue box uh, tossed back. Which looks really dusty and frosty now. That is a um, thing they do in this. I guess episode that's a thing that, that I don't remember in the movie or yeah, it's, later. It's only in this it's episode. Weird. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they they mentioned that. Well, you get like disintegrated and reintegrated, and since your your atoms have go from have to be assembled, they start off not moving, which is like cold because there's no vibration. So, which is why you're always frosty when you come out of it. But yeah, after, literally after this episode, it never goes mentioned again. Because um, I guess the, the, the box, yeah, is covered in frost and it, it's written on it with a Sharpie. It says, thanks, send more. So uh, we know that Daniel is there. 
Um, so O'Neill says, okay, well, uh, can we go through there with a team now? And Hammond says, hang on, I have to call Clinton first um, and ask him for permission. Uh, because, yeah, uh, for, for the record, uh, president, uh, when he's mentioned uh, until the year 2000, is going to mean Bill Clinton in this case. Uh, he's canonically the real president in this show. Um, <laughs> that's going to come up. Uh, so... Uh, are, are, yeah. are we gonna get a fake Bill Clinton, or are they? No, just... it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not contact or anything either. It's just. It's always gonna be just the phone that Hammond is talking to him. But it's implied to be Clinton, and then it's implied to be Bush, and then in 2004 they elect a different fictional president that we get to see for the first time, which is season seven or something. I feel like uh, there was an, epi- yeah. an episode in the last season of Atlantis that implied Obama, but I don't. I barely remember that. I mean, Atlantis ended in. Pretty sure what it ended was in 2008. It? It, uh, it ended like. Right, 08, 09, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I guess. I guess if it's still the, the dude whose name I forgot, played by William Devane, who's the dude who plays politicians in every TV show, um, if it's still him, he could have gotten reelected in 2008. Uh, it's possible that I guess Obama came over at this point. I don't know if we see him again after the end of his G1. Um, Anyways. Anyway. Uh, well, listen, until I hear the word uh, Clinton said, I'm going to imagine uh, the president is the guy from West Wing. I'm going to imagine it's Martin Sheen. Okay, well. sure. Bartlett. It's uh, Martin Sheen. President Bartlett. Right, fine. There, there, there's a scene later, like, like uh, and uh, one of the last episodes of this season where Daniel says he voted for the current president, like, regretfully. So it can be any president you want to... Uh, put in in your mind that daniel jackson would have voted for uh, i could <laughs> definitely regret, imagine him regretted. regretfully in voting for bartlett it's, it's fine <laughs> yeah well i mean it's in the context it's he's regret, regretting it because uh the president is going to be trying to shut down the stargate yeah. at the end of the season but you know uh so uh they're in the briefing room now uh o'neill has put on his full dress uniform, which I guess they had one for him there. I don't know what if, like, all his medals and rank insignias and stuff, if, if he has to keep the same ones he actually has, or if he can have rep- replicas that are just around on his uh, uniform. I don't know anything about how the military actually works. Most of what I know I learned from TV. Uh, anyway, so this is the really cringy scene where we're introduced to Samantha Carter. I'm going to turn my mic off for a second to blow my nose, if you'll okay. allow me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what happens is uh, Hammond says, Sam, uh, uh, Captain Sam, does he say Captain anyway? Uh, Sam Carter is going to join you on this. And O'Neill, because he's a big, dumb, dumb man, dumb, assumes that Sam Carter is a man, and he says, where's he transferring from? And she answers from the doorway to Hammond's office, she is transferring from the Pentagon, because that's Captain Samantha Carter to you, uh, and O'Neill starts being kind of, no wait, Kowalski starts being a little shitty at first, and he says, God, these two, uh, these you, two scenes are god Yeah, uh, they're, they're like, bad. Oh, it's so bad. They, it, they it's may as so well bad. just put uh, a letterman's jacket on O'Neill. Like, he's yep, such a yep, yep. goddamn jock. Like, how dare yeah, a he woman, is. a woman, talk to me about uh-huh. a Stargate. Uh-huh. And, like, she, she kind of, like, Kowalski, like, kind of, like, 
true gate tries to gatekeep her a little bit because she's like did you play with G.I. Joe's when you were a kid? Uh-huh. And she says, well, Major Matt Mason was my doll. And Freddy explains that that was an astronaut doll. Okay, great. Awesome. Um, so, having... Uh, no, wait, sorry. O'Neill is giving the briefing. Uh, he starts explaining, okay, so we're going through the Stargate. Uh, most of you... Well, I guess only one of them, because he's only going with... No, he's not. Okay, he's going with... It's hard to tell because there's other guys that do get shot in the like a couple scenes that go with them, but I don't. I'm not even sure they're there in this scene. Anyway, uh, he's explaining. He, he wants to do a little briefing to to explain what happens when you go through the Stargate. And uh, Carter answers, interrupts him, and says, "Actually, I've read your report and I've memorized it, and I'm a little bit of a geek about this, and I know everything about the Stargate, and I figured everything out because I'm also an astrophysicist, and I made all the computers that run around here and everything." Blah, blah, blah. Um, am I right to understand? She says, "I was born to go through the Stargate." Am, Sorry. Am I right to understand that uh, Carter is supposed to be our audience surrogate? No, not really. A little bit. I mean, in this episode, maybe, but not so much later on. She's like, she's she, like she's the only one who's amazed at the Stargate. She's the only one who right. Like she she. If there's an audience surrogate, it has to be her. Yeah, but yeah, uh, there, there, there's there isn't there really totally isn't one, one like uh, as a general, as a general not, uh, not ongoing a, thing. But in this later. episode, she kind of is because she Mitchell is. Yeah, she she fanboys at O'Neill here. She fanboys at uh, at fangirls. Sorry, at Daniel a little bit uh, in a minute. And yeah, she's 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 like excited and goes, "Ooh, I'm gonna explain everything." Uh, she it's not uh, a good script for her either. Um, and it's got and, uh, the line. Wait, hang on. <laughs> yeah, it's got the line. Uh, she says, I've been preparing for this uh, for all my life. I'm, I'm ready for this mission. And like Kowalski, once again, is kind of shady at her. It's like, well, have you ever done this thing in a simulator that is really hard to do, like because of the G-force and stuff? And she says, yeah, I've done that. And Kowalski looks real dumb. I and mean, he I- says, it's way worse than that. And Freddy adds some... Yeah, so, yeah, this is the guy who looks nothing like French Stewart, who plays the same role, uh, who has, like, two lines in this episode. Um, Have you ever hurled a football 500 meters after crushing a, yeah. a whole keg, a bushlight? Yeah. You fucking nerd. Yeah, yeah and Freddy says, well, it's it's way worse, actually, when you go through the Stargate. It's like you've been through a blizzard naked because it sucks, and, and, yeah, you can't possibly handle it because, uh, yeah, you're just a girl. And she says... Well, actually, since I'm a scientist, I understand that this is because your molecules get reconstructed by the Stargate and stuff, and something about vibrations and heat and stuff. And O'Neill kind of rolls his eyes and goes, oh, come on, I, I, no, 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 not science and explanations. And Sam says, well, I'm a theoretical astrophysicist, thank you, and... Heaven says, well, she's smarter than you are, so could you please, for the love of God, shut the fuck up, man? I mean, doesn't uh, the fact that she's doing the, stuff the, with the, the Stargate now actually make her a practical astrophysicist? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, yep. I also do appreciate the irony of Richard Dean Anderson having to look down at a character playing a scientist, but with uh-huh. his, his bread and butter being MacGyver. Yep. Yeah, he's See, that's got, an he, 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 he kind of dumbs down for this, for this show. Uh, yeah, MacGyver has two degrees. One of them was physics. That's uh huh. Okay. There you go. I, I can't argue with uh, MacGyver. 
Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, on this show, RDA is kind of has has to step aside for the science stuff because it's spread it's split between uh, Carter for the uh, sciency space explanations, techno babble stuff, and Daniel for the cultural uh, language stuff. Right. So the, they're, between the two of them, they're the brain of the team, I guess. And uh, O'Neill is just the leader and the wisecracker and the dude who knows how to make shit happen. Um, uh, I, by the way, I remember that MacGyver has a degree in physics because in an episode of MacGyver, he tells someone, I didn't study physics for the money in it. I studied it for the thrill and adventure in physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds. Love calculating forces in ropes and pulleys and shit. It's, it's great. I love my physics. No, actually, the physics class was pretty fun, actually. I had a good teacher. Nah, I don't want to show on physics, it's a good science. This is a pro physics podcast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, when he's like still kind of like, nah, 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 and she says, oh, "Well, I know so much about the Stargate that I really should have gone through in the uh, through it the first time. Like, I kind of just didn't go through in a technicality. I guess maybe she was off, which is why we didn't see her in the movie at all because she already worked there." Um, uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, and. O'Neill calls her, tries to get her to, to, to get a word in and says, Doctor, listen. And she says, No, wait, we're in the military setting. I'm a, like a, a U.S. Air Force captain. You should call me captain, actually. Uh, and then uh, I want to die. Uh, Hammond says, uh, Yeah, you don't, you don't get a choice on this, O'Neill. She's coming. Uh, and then, like, this is where we get the line about Sam Carter's reproductive organs, where she calls out the fact that she doesn't have a penis and that she can still do the job. Just because my reproductive organs are on the inside instead of the outside doesn't mean I can't handle whatever you can handle. It's great. We all love it, and they're going to make fun of this line in the 200th episode. No, actually, a couple of times coming down the line, because uh, uh, the writers realized after the fact that it was a really cringy it line. Real bad. It's really bad. And uh, <laughs> O'Neill tries to uh, to save uh, to save face in this conversation by saying, uh, "Actually, I don't care that you're a woman because I like women. Actually, uh, I had a wife, and uh, now I just don't like scientists, which is also bullshit because you know we know he's worked with scientists. He's worked with Daniel and stuff. I guess he didn't like him at first either, but uh, whatever." Uh, I guess, like, they thought this was set, set, setting up some kind of sexual tension, I guess, but it's not working at all in this scene. It's a big failure on that front. Uh, and then, never thought I'd say that, Major Samuels saves us all by stopping them from talking. Um, he, even though his plan is to bury the Stargate and forget about this whole space thing that it ever happened and just pretend nothing ever happened. Uh, O'Neill points out that it it won't work because uh, the aliens know where Earth is. Uh, they have spaceships. They can get there eventually. And so they talk a lot in this in this episode about burying the gates, and they, that comes up oh, periodically over the course of the, uh -huh. fra of the mm -hmm. franchise. That never makes any sense to me. I mean, because we're gonna see the yeah, I know the one in the movie was buried under the yeah. cartouche or the, whatever. But the thing is, it's a step. 
the wormhole vaporizes yeah, everything. Yeah, but the, when the, the actual opening of the Stargate is blocked, as we're going to see with the iris, like in the second half of the episode, it prevents the wormhole from being formed completely, which is what like burying the gate would do, right? If it's completely uh, obstructed, it can't form. I thought that like the reason why they don't have that that's the reason why they don't have the iris on all the time is that specifically because if a wormhole came through, it would destroy it. No, the way I understand it is that if they had the iris on all the time and uh, they it would just stop any wormhole from happening and then they could potentially uh, miss someone uh, legitimate or friendly trying to establish a connection. I, so they have to let... I, I, know how, sorry. I know how for them to get around this. You can finish and then I will <laughs> explain how they can address this entire problem. Yeah. So, okay, so the the way I think, the, the way that it's explained on the show from the way I understand it is, yeah, like I said, if anything is completely blocking the opening, there can't be a wormhole. If if the wormhole can form, yes, the Kavush is going to destroy everything in front of it anyway. But, uh, the yeah, the reason they don't uh, keep the iris always closed is uh, what if an SG team has to come back as an emergency and it's like not, not on a scheduled time or... Uh, some friendly uh, other planet is trying to contact them or something. So they have to let it like open, but then they close the iris when it's once it's open or when it's about to open. It's not very clear. They usually close it before it's completely open anyway. Um, the point is, yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's, it's just Stargate, like the way the tech works at this point. It's, it's never completely consistent. It's always whatever the writers needed to do. Uh, uh, but yeah, go ahead, Jimmy Dean. All right, so so I mean, the wormhole disintegrates anything in front of the Stargate. It yeah. does not create yeah. anything below the Stargate. So they could no, literally right. just put it on a platform and then just put a <laughs> like a pit trap underneath it. Anybody that walked through the wormhole would just fall to their death. Ah, oh, that's good. Just just a big pit, that, pit of that, spikes. That's, it's very good, actually. Just a big old like Squid Game pit. Uh, without if, the like the, the thing with the glass bridges, but yep. without the bridges, yeah. If anyone basically from NORAD that would is work. listening, uh, I will take a job. <laughs> <laughs> they they have a pit. They're in the missile silo. <laughs> That's already a big pit by itself, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I like it. That's a you're you're gonna you would go far in the SGC yeah. with these kinds of ideas, son. I mean, the other um, the other idea is you just put it into a huge uh, pit filled with water. Like if they come through, they're they're already going to start drowning. Yeah. Like, well, there are solutions to keep, this problem. <laughs> keep keep the idea of a, a submerged Stargate in the back of your mind for a couple seasons, because and also uh, think of Deanna Troy, Troy from TNG for no reason at all, and like we'll get back to you in season three about that. Um, I, I eagerly anyway. await some psychic to have an overbearing mother. On, on no, uh, <laughs> more more literal than that. Okay. I, I meant that. Uh, Marina Sirtis is going to guest oh, on the okay. show in season three, and it's on an episode that has to do with a Stargate that's underwater. That, oh. that, that's all. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, to get back to the show, uh, O'Neill explains that well. So they have these big spaceships, and they just can just get here uh, the old-fashioned way, as he says, and uh, just blow them up from space. And if they haven't gone through the Stargate to prepare for this, they're shit out of luck at this point. Um, which is a good point, and it's going to be like the motivator for them to go forward and have a TV show. They need to find stuff to defend themselves, basically. Uh, so Hammond 
basically buys that as a good argument and he says okay uh well you have what he says 24 hours to prepare and then you're leaving for abydos everyone yay uh so we cut to once again the stargate being opened um we sure over like i realized like the, sh the stargate like they show it opening over and over on this show this happens a lot anyway for a thing that happened exactly once on the mo in the movie and i guess twice if you count the end of it um Listen, it, it lets them save a couple seconds of airtime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's some it, already good effects work that they don't it, have to it's make. It's very much the, the Megazord summoning sequence logic or the it's morphing time thing, right? You, you just play the clip from the movie and that's free footage right there. Um, so, yeah, they go through the Stargate to Abydos. They're all decked out in desert gear with uh, big backpacks that are covered by a, a desert camo thing. Once again, that looks like uh, legitimate military equipment. It's probably real uniforms. Um, it, it does look like their equipment, like they have a shell, like they have the, the top of a mushroom yeah. on their back. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me think of Master Roshi, actually. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but it looks like they have turtle shells for weight training. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they're, they're, so uh, everyone steps through except O'Neill and Carter, who stay a little behind. And Carter tries to once again appeal to O'Neill and say, you know, we're going to have some fun and you're going to like me by the end of this. It's fine. I'm actually nice. And uh, he says, oh, I like you already. And it's kind of bullshit considering what we just saw. It's anyway. Um, anyway, uh, so they, they get right in front of the Stargate, and since it's the first time she's actually seen it open from up close, she starts geeking out about it and says some techno babble about like she kind of like pokes at it and says ooh, it fluctuates a little bit it's like it does little ripples like water, it's amazing that it does that, and uh, O'Neill has had enough and just shoves her through it which is very nice of him um, they step through, uh, we get a full <laughs> Uh, it's literally the same effects uh, shot from the movie uh, with the exploding stars and everything, and they come out through the other side. And uh, you you watched this in syndication, right? Uh, at first, yeah, you saw this on TV. Uh, I, uh, I first, the, I think the first time I saw this specific episode was on DVD, at my friend's place. Okay, I'm just. Do you remem remember like, uh, like, I think it was like either right before or right after the credits, they always had this weird thing on the, on the TV broadcasts where they had that footage, but with a modem sound advertising a Stargate website. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. But it sounds like it sounds I, like the kind of shit they would have done for commercial bumpers or something. That that just pops into my head every time I see, <laughs> see that. It's just, I hear a modem That's noise. That's amazing. In my head. <laughs> That's such a fucking 90s I, TV I tried bit. Searching, I tried searching it on YouTube since we oh, that, after watching this, and I could not I, find I, it. So I'm not even entirely yeah, sure it existed. I, I bet that's like a thing that was done only on CTV or something when it was airing in Canada, right? That that sounds like uh, uh, the broadcaster thing. Maybe. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're on Abydos, and like once again, we see O'Neill step through, and he has frost all over the, his face because in this episode only, everyone is cold when he stepped through. Uh uh, he so everyone is there. Uh, Carter is sitting down because she feels a little sick, haha. Because like it was more intense than she expected. But to be fair, she was completely shoved in there against her will. So maybe not entirely her fault on that one. Um, anyway, uh, they look around. the 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 gate room looks much more com compact on this side than it did in the movie. 
instead of being like a chamber for just the Stargate and then an entrance, it looks like it's just one room and there's like some camping gear and stuff around indicating there's people there. They start looking around and mm. all the Abydos natives. Pillars look a lot more like styrofoam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very cheap set uh, that they're going to use a lot. Um, so yeah, all the, the, the Abydos natives start pointing their guns at them and it goes even though they probably already cocked their guns, but whatever. Um, so, because they're guarding this room, and out pops our buddy Daniel, who tells everyone to lower their guns, and it's fine, these people are friends. Uh, now played by Michael Shanks, who I think he's really trying to act like James Spader in this episode, he's and it looks really job. weird to me. He's doing a, yeah. a bang-up job. <laughs> he's, he's clearly just watched the movie, and he's trying to be James Spader, because he does, like, weird mouth movements that are that look unnatural but look like the kind of stuff Spader would do. <laughs> He's going to eventually like give it up and it's just re- kind of weird to see him do that and he delivers his dialogue in a in a really like uh low volume monotone low energy like he he sounds halfway asleep almost when he's speaking it's 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 really strange. Yeah, he, he he's a bit yeah. rough at the first first yeah. bit but Controversial opinion. I think Michael Shanks looks a lot hotter than James Spader. I think, I, I yeah, cannot, I think I you're probably right. I cannot go down right. this road with you. I cannot go down. I mean, Zach is not going to agree with us because he's mentioned that he has a crush on James Spader. But uh, I mean, yeah. Once again, I'm a straight guy, so maybe maybe my opinion isn't the one that matters here. I I do think I agree that Michael Shanks is a more at least classically handsome actor than I, James Spader is. I can see the argument that Michael Shanks is like. A fundamentally better-looking man. The problem is yeah. he doesn't have that that aura, that energy that just the, you no. Know. He he doesn't have the same energy at all. Michael Shanks is a is a really intense actor. He's a really intense guy. He's a theater man, but he's not like there's no sexuality to his energy. It's all just uh, sometimes anger and passion and stuff like that. But not not I want to fuck you with my eyes. It's not really his. Yeah, I- I mean, his expertise. To, to paraphrase Silicon Valley, I mean, James Spader is a man who fucks. Yeah, he is. And Michael Shanks, not so much, even though he's... Uh, the ladies do love him. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, and... Uh, and Skara is there also. He's right there standing behind Daniel. And he's he's played by the same actor as he was in the movie. So it's it's a... It's a fun juxtaposition to see uh, Richard Dean Anderson walk up to him and s- they salute each other and they hug each other and like they, you know they have this great relationship between each other and it's 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 fun. I, I like it because uh, they do sell it pretty well. They they look really happy to see each other and uh, yeah, it's a it's a sweet little moment. Uh, so uh, Daniel says. In his once again his fader impression, what are you doing here? Uh, yeah, why? What? I, I can't really do a spader, but he he like he has a weird time doing it either. Uh, O'Neill says, "Well, I feel a lot better now that I see that everyone's all right here." Uh, and then Ferretti and Kowalski are big fucking dorks because Ferretti gives Daniel a Vulcan salute and says, "Greetings from Earth." Very self-aware that we're in a sci-fi show right now, I guess. And uh, Kowalski steals O'Neill's bit and has a little, like, individual pack of Kleenexes that he hands him, which is real funny, if only 
it wasn't literally the same joke that O'Neill pulled er pulled earlier. Um, anyway, uh, and then yeah, we meet everyone, and Share steps out from behind a sheet. Uh, her name has been changed. She's no longer Shauri, but Share. My guess is that Share is an easier name for the actors to pronounce because they're gonna say it Pro a lot more. That's probably it. Yeah, because uh, they barely said her name in the movie, and they say it a lot here. Um, so, yeah, uh, O'Neill shakes her hand. Good to see you again. Everything is a little tense, because like, now clearly everyone is like, well, okay, uh, clearly you, came, you didn't come here for nothing. You're with the army. What's going on? Uh, O'Neill asks him, uh, okay, so uh, y'all are guarding this room with guns, so what's going on on your side? And then says, well, nothing, we're just being careful. Um, and then uh, Sam interrupts their conversation to point out that she's just found the DHD, which is the nice uh, critical piece of equipment that was there all along, but we just never saw before now, uh, which is the, the, the alien device that is attached to the target and dials it, which is uh, it, it just basically does what the computers do on Earth, but in an alien way. And that's how it is on most other planets. Uh, we just uh, established this. I don't think they name it here, but it's a DHD. Oh, yeah, this is the and time where she, uh, where she makes, she makes the, MacGyver the MacGyver joke. MacGyver joke. It took us 15 years and three supercomputers to MacGyver a system for the gate on Earth. And I think we cut back to O'Neill at this point. Because like he he does a little like oh, come on face and I think like from what I remember from the behind the scenes uh, material that the MacGyver joke wasn't scripted either she came up with it or someone like a writer told her to 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 say it like right before they shot the scene because they wanted to catch Richard Dean Anderson's uh, reaction to it and he does like a little uh -huh, very funny kind of face so anyway it's funny. Um, so I mean, it's, a, it's an okay joke. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It's 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 less hammered in than the outtake from a later episode where she has a whole rant about it. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, so Onya says, "Would you come over here and say hi?" Uh, and she introduces herself to Daniel, and she fangirls about him a little bit because this is the guy who figured out the Stargate, and she was the one who did the tech side of it. So I guess uh, she's. Uh, like I guess professional admiration she's got for him, for for him, and like O'Neill says something embarrassing that I presume that I sorry that I missed for a second. Oh yeah, uh, she 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 introduces herself as Doctor Carter, and O'Neill says thought you wanted to be called Captain, and she kind of like loses her smile a little bit because he's being mean again at this point. Um, so. Uh, Daniel says, okay, uh, please get to the point. Why are you here? And this is when O'Neill explains that aliens came through the Stargate on Earth, killed some people, captured another one. Uh, Kowalski says, one of them looked a lot like Ra. And Daniel says, well, they didn't come from here. We've been guarding this place 36 hours a day, which is a fun little uh, moment to remind ourselves that it's a different planet. Um, so says, well, they had to come from somewhere, uh, so we're going to look around. And Daniel says, well, I think I can help you solve this mystery, but uh, there's a sandstorm right now in the stock footage from the movie, so uh, let's just have dinner first. Uh, so they have dinner with everyone in the gate room, and it's a lot like the, the scene from the movie where he ate the chicken lizard thing. And um, 
this time Skara uh, gives them like those little boat shaped bowls thing and he tells them to drink it and uh, Olya sniffs at it uh, and says oh this is moonshine great awesome <laughs> this is pretty funny because Skara says moonshine he doesn't understand that word but it's yeah it's booze you made alcohol right you distilled some alcohol and made some hard liquor here this scene goes and, on um, way too long by the way it does yeah oh, it for does. how much of a joke it is it's it's kind of like they're, they're kind of padding at this point uh but yeah o'neill does like uh give it a careful sip immediately spits it out and like spills a whole bunch of it because it's really strong he has a funny little moment where he can barely talk and he says smooth really smooth it's have, have funny. we talked on so just everyone speaks english now the series is just moving yeah, forward yeah that. yeah so yeah we are like uh, so uh the, the suspension of disbelief is that in the year he's been there daniel has taught everyone on that planet to speak english I don't know if, if that's realistic, but it, whatever. It, it wouldn't be. If the one guy who spoke English moved there, he would not convert them to his ways. I mean, oh, yeah. He would just learn their language. Yeah, but it's, you know... That also, everyone on every other planet now speaks English, yeah. except when they don't for... So, so, so for that's the other thing. Like when they, get, when they get to Chulak later in this episode, we're going to get the priests that still speak Goa'uld and need... It's not even the same language because Daniel doesn't understand it. He has to like figure it out. But then, like all the Jaffa and Teal and Apophis do speak English. It's a weird situation, and it's it's just going to be mostly everyone speaks English now. And don't worry about it. Because uh, yeah, the, also yeah, the implication that Daniel taught everyone there to speak English is a little American exceptionalism, and it's uh, it's not great. But you know, they- the show does that sometimes. You know, I I remember how Farscape got around this. They just did like the uh-huh. universal translator that, bacteria. That's a better option, yeah. Yep, it's the bacteria. There's the babble fish from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yep. Universal translators from Star Trek. Something something Ezo from Mass Effect that translated everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's always an excuse, but Stargate kind of just like hand waves it. It's just whatever. It doesn't matter. Everyone speaks English. It's a sci-fi yeah, show. Yeah, but. It's more. It's a bit more glaring when Stargate does it, though. Yeah. Just because because so it was much a plot of the point. Plot is based yeah. around we need this linguist to go to space with us. Yeah. yeah the, the the official position early on was that well Daniel is on the show and he's on the team and just assume he's translating back and forth for everyone and we're just like putting in English for the viewers' uh, benefit. But that kind of also falls apart because Daniel's not always there anyway. I guess that would only work if every language they encountered was based off of ancient Egyptian? Yeah, which it wouldn't be, because, like, we do get, like... Like, the, the, he says that the, 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 the Chulak priests are speaking a kind of Arabic thing, and later on we're going to get, like, uh, an alien that speaks Babylonian, there's, like, people that speak Norse and stuff like that, and it's, it's, it's a whole bunch of different ancient languages... And, like, I don't know. It's, it's, I think, like, they're also kind of uh, justifying it, rationalizing it in their mind by saying, well, these are all people that came from Earth, and, like, their language just maybe happened to evolve and all become English everywhere, which is also dumb and wouldn't happen, because, like, most languages on Earth are not English either. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's just everyone speaks English, pretend it's fine. 
It's okay. In two episodes, they're gonna go to a Mongol planet, and everyone speaks English there. It's fine. It's uh, uh, it's fine. And if you have a problem, uh, personally email Richard Dean Anderson your critique. Yeah, just uh, tweet at uh, I don't even know if he, if he has a Twitter, Richard Dean Anderson, and like really grill him on this, really demand an answer, and he's gonna immediately block you, and it's gonna be fine. Uh, <laughs> Don't do that. Please, please don't tell Richard Dean Anderson I told you to like pester him on Twitter. The man, he's an old man. He, 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 he can just have a, a quiet life with his kids now. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so uh, Scarab pulls out the lighter so that we remember it from the movie and offers it back to O'Neill. And O'Neill says, "No, wait. I gave it to you. You keep it. It was a gift, right?" And yeah, mostly that scene is to remember that this happened in the movie because we're so that we remember that uh, they're they have a close relationship because it's never going to come up again. Uh, the lighter specifically, I mean. Um, and then we we get back to Daniel who says he's been playing with the slider and for a whole year since you've been gone he really likes you, like it's getting a little creepy when he has his real dad right there who's not in this episode, but he, he is still there, and he, he, he keeps dreaming about his Earth dad. Um, anyway. So, uh, then Daniel puts his cards on the table uh, and says, you know, uh, Ra must have come th- from another planet, another Stargate, and, like, O'Neill and Carter both, uh, like, go, wait, what? As if that's a weird or completely alien concept to them. It had never even occurred that there could be other planets with Stargates, which is weird, because that's literally the first thing you'd think of. Um, especially, especially the writers thought of. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the reason this TV show exists. What if there were more? Yeah, but we need to catch up the, number, the dumbest viewers in the audience who might still think that Stargate only has one destination, which I guess was also Roland Emmerich's vision. He didn't like that there were different Stargate planets. Um, anyway. Roland uh, Emmerich was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Carter says, well, how is that possible? We, the whole time I worked there, we kept trying, like, random uh, coordinates, uh, even knowing the Earth symbol, and none of them ever hit. Like, she says they tried hundreds of permutations, and uh, I actually ran the numbers, and there were, there are actually billions of possible gate addresses, so hundreds is a tiny fraction of that, so it would make sense that they wouldn't get a hit in all of that. Um, uh, but Daniel says, well, you didn't have what you need to make a connection. And O'Neill says, what are you talking about? Which, and then Skara fortunately walks back in and says, the sandstorm is over. And Daniel says, oh, great. We can just go, go look at what I'm talking about now. So I can explain everything. Um, uh, yeah. So he, he tells Shara, okay, I'm just going to go over there with these people and I'm going to be back. And she, he like kisses her forehead and she just grabs him and like deep tongue kisses him right there in front of everyone, which is, yeah. Everyone cheers. Yeah, everyone cheers. Woohoo! It's, They're horny. It's a real passionate kiss. That kiss goes on for a oh, while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I, I mentioned it last episode, but uh, these actors at the time were actually in a relationship, so. Yeah, this is uh they're not holding back. The the that's that's her actual boyfriend. She's French kissing right there. So I guess uh, you can see you can see the passion in it. Um So, yeah. 
Kowalski goes with uh, Carter and uh, O'Neill and Daniel to over to what he wants to show them. Tells Freddy to hold the fort while they're gone, which is, you know, maybe like when you're on Abydos and someone tells you, you know, guard the Stargate room, you should go, no, 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 I want to go with you and not be here, because that always seems to end badly for Freddy when he's told to hold the fort. Um, So they walk out uh, onto a soundstage with uh, spotlights that are acting like the sun. They... (laughs) They put their sunglasses on because, wow, it's so bright over here. And we cut to a reverse shot that's directly from the movie showing the desert. And then, like, the transition footage is just shots from the movie showing different people walking out of the the temple from a faraway angle. Uh, It's it's just a very economical way of not having to show a desert that's shot in Vancouver. Um so we get some transition, and we get to a different little temple, uh, which, uh, I guess, a room. I don't know. It's not like they, they've been walking for a while, so I guess it's a different building. It's funny. It's like, this would have had to have just been always just like just off to the side for the whole movie. Yeah. It's just behind a different dune that they never went around to. Uh, there was a whole, there was a room, uh, that he found about after, he he says after about a month, so it's presumably some distance from, uh, the town and the, the temple. Um, so it's a, a, a nice looking room with Egyptian statues and a big old Eye of Ra thing, uh, on the wall. I don't know if it's oriented right, uh, right now, if the Eye of Ra has the branch on the left or the right, because I remember that was a point of contention in the movie. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, da, 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 da. yeah, uh, they say, wow, no, Sam overstates things and says, this is the arche- archaeological find of the century, and I don't know, Sam, this is the century where you found a magic Stargate that goes through space, so I think that's maybe a little more significant than that. Um, um, so. I mean, which, of course, is its significance is, you know, the magic thing that goes through space, or the thing that tells you add. Lots of other addresses in space yeah, you can go it's, to. It's the phone book for it. It's a toss-up. It. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the Google for the Stargate that they found. Because um, uh, yeah, uh, Daniel explains this very slowly. Because like they 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 ask Daniel, so what those do those hieroglyphs say? And Daniel says, well, they don't say anything. Uh, it's more like a, a chart or a map. And O'Neill is very slow on the uptake. He says of, and Daniel says. Well, I haven't looked at everything, but uh, you see everything. Uh, it would take a whole lifetime to analyze everything. And O'Neill says, well, please get me the short version then. What's it a map of? And uh, Daniel tries to lead him gently to the conclusion and says, well, there's groups of seven symbols that are all separated from each other. And there's a bunch of lines between them. And, you know... You know what this means, and O'Neill clearly is like looking like a deer in the headlights, doesn't get it at all, and says, "Oh, explain it for the other people who don't understand it, because I clearly understand it." Um, and Daniel says, "Okay, so all the symbols on these walls are on the Stargate. This is a map of a bunch of Stargate addresses. Like, there's a whole lot of them right here." So there's a whole bunch of planets they could have come from. Uh, it might be one of these. And uh, and Carter once again says, 
you know, I don't think it's possible that that's even possible because we tried a bunch and that didn't work, even though I like pointed out once again that based on the numbers, it makes sense that it didn't get a hit so far without a, any kind of guide to tell them what to do. And Daniel says, well, he straight up tried th those coordinates in the map room and they didn't work either. So he thought, like, you know, a bunch of them must have been destroyed or buried or something. But some of them must work. Um, and Carter is once again very skeptical about this. Uh, Daniel asks, if that's the case, where did the other alien come from? And <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson has a really funny way that he turns his head towards Carter and like kind of widens his eyes and goes, hmm, yeah, where, like he's repeating the question. He's, uh, he, he, he's kind of goofy. Um, he's just like, oh, okay, you're, you're you smart people, when do you figure this shit out? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so, Daniel is the one who, like, brings the astrophysics to the table, even though, like, Carter should be the one who thinks about this. Um, Daniel says, well, don't, like, stars drift through space and stuff, like, and if the coordinates are based on constellations, wouldn't that throw this, the, the coordinates off? Uh, which is, once again nonsensical because it's the if it's the same symbols and if the stars drift the constellations wouldn't look the same so the symbols wouldn't make sense anymore and like the point just wouldn't shift to a different constellation uh anyway we're sort of meant to gloss over all of this I but was, carter says oh wait actually you're right about this i i was very confused by this because i understand the whole uh -huh. idea they're setting up with the, the you know drift and expanding uh -huh. uh, universe theory, but they still fundamentally mm -hmm. use the same like pieces, like right. images. So yeah, mathematically it's like, they could have yeah. still dialed. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like saying someone moved like to a different apartment, so you need to learn the new phone number. I guess is what is is what is what the actual problem is, but. Yeah, like uh, they explain it like the distance, like because because somehow somehow the distance from your place to this other phone is hashed in the phone number itself, and by moving to a different place that changes the number because it's a different distance, and that's just a weird way to put it. It's just not how any of this works, but all of this is in service of um, establishing that they have all these addresses and they need some time for the computer to figure out the difference so that they don't get them all at once so that they have some kind of trickle of addresses that they can go weekly to different planets yeah. <laughs> this is all just for that your, your friend from college he, he moved to another state he could be anywhere in the united states we simply have no way of calling him even though we're using <laughs> the same <laughs> 10 numbers yeah exactly yeah it's 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 a weird concept to establish but the thing that matters for the story is that every gate address on this in, in this room has changed somehow a little bit, and it takes a computer to figure out how, and they're going to figure it out now, and they're going to know how to get to a bunch of different planets from this. Um, which is, like, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of technobabble. Like, Carter mentions Doppler shift and all of this, which I'm pretty sure is, like, something having to do with wavelength and speed and something like that. I don't even know how that applies to anything, but anyway. <laughs> Science words. Science words, exactly. Uh, so after they've done techno-babbling, Kowalski takes over the mantle of asking everyone, what the hell are you talking about? Um, 
And Sam says, well, uh, so, uh, anyway, the, 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 the short version is there's a bunch of other possible planets that the Stargate can connect to, and they need to figure out the stuff based on these coordinates, and also that means that these aliens could have come from anywhere, and they have no, they have no way of knowing where. Um, we cut back to the gate room where Skara and Shari are having a fun little moment where they're kind of teasing each other. And then Ferretti and this other guy are real fucking creeps because they really get an eyeful of Shari as she's walking away and says, Oh, wow, this lady's hot, huh? And come on. Come on, writers. Um... So, uh, then the Stargate starts to activate again. Uh, everyone takes positions again to guard the Stargate, uh, for good reason this time, because wouldn't you know it, as luck would have it, the Stargate turns on, and our snake buddies step through once again, and immediately start blasting. Um, are, are we supposed to presume their body armor is what makes them invulnerable? It's not it's it's not invulnerable because like they did shoot one like they can they, they can be shot to occasionally. death but it is like the plates on it do seem to be somewhat impervious to bullets and they have like chainmail under it so if you catch if you catch like a weak spot in the armor you can kill one and also like a, a, being Jafar a, a weak spot sorry. or their arms or legs they just wear yeah, armor exactly. on the torso right yeah you're right about that you know it's a it's the old chainmail model of armor um also yeah as jafar they can heal from a bullet wound pretty quick probably so if it's just like a flesh wound or something it's not gonna stop them they're pretty tough um but yeah they're big helmets and their chest plates and uh arm plates and whatnot do seem to block bullets based on the way we see them going plink 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 i i know um, it's very early into the series and i've seen the movie obviously but I'm still mm-hmm. not wholly convinced that the staffs are a better weapon than guns. I'm still I mean, pretty it's pro uh, gun in this, in this. There's a, there's there's a there's an episode in uh, like uh, somewhere in the middle of the series after the after the SGC has upgraded their armaments to P90s. Uh, they go to a planet where there's a bunch of rebel Jaffa. and uh, the Jaffa are like training with the use of these staff weapons and. Uh, the SG-1 is there, and they're trying to convince them that actually our guns are way better. Check it out. And they, like, start shooting logs hanging from from ropes with them and stuff and showing them, like, yeah, you see these guns? They work pretty well. Your stuff just does a big, loud, bright laser, and it fires pretty slow. Like, I, admittedly, I that, just rewatched The Quick and the Dead. Uh, I think uh-huh. Gene Hackman is more effective. Like, he could probably get the gun out quicker than one of these guys can swing around a staff yeah. and aim it. Yeah, but yeah, uh, later the later series definitely is on your side with this, where yes. it's like, no, no, staffs actually really freaking suck. Okay, but uh, right. also, 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 part of it is that the Jaffa kind of learn a martial art that involves using the staff also as a melee weapon. So they're used. It's like it's not it's not quite gunkata, but it's you know they 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 do some bow shit and also they can shoot their staff sometimes. So it's it's a whole thing. So like it's it's part of their tradition and their training and stuff and it's it's like you we're know. gonna get introduced to the other Gavold weapon soon, which is just better in every way. Okay, yeah, except All for right. how loud it is. Like it's the 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 Gavold, uh like uh, stun weapon. Uh, it goes is the loudest fucking thing in the world. It's like the opposite of a dart gun. It goes. 
Yeah, it, and it's yeah. This is, it, this is one of my hangups uh, initially. This early into the series, like, all right, you got to aim the staff. You got to hope uh-huh. you hit them. But if you hit them, you, you, they're going to be down in one blow, as opposed to getting yeah. shot in the gut with a gun, which does the exact same yeah. thing. But uh, th- their approach, like, is is very much heavy gunners in front, like tanking everything, just like big marching lines of Jaffa. The, the gold don't care about the lives of the Jaffa, so they just send them off to the front, shooting and their big for sticks. for the most part, their whole thing is that they're used to fighting terrified peasants kept intentionally in the Bronze Age. Yeah. It, yeah, it, in, in Team Fortress uh, terms, the Jaffa team is all heavies, basically. Uh, yeah, this, that's, that's their philosophy. This is Halo, you lead with the uh, rocket launchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah uh, the Jaffa shoot everyone uh, the, the defense is not going very well a lot of Abedonians seem to die in this scene um, and uh, Freddy gets wounded the other guy who was like kind of whistling a chariot a second ago seems to have gotten killed because we don't see him again um, uh, I think Tilk grabs Share or is it a, no yeah. it's, it's, it's a different uh no, wait, he doesn't grab Shari. Because uh, another Jaffa grabs her. Uh, Skara tries to shoot at Tilk as he's advancing, uh, but his gun is jamming. Uh, another Jaffa like, uh, points his staff at him and wants to shoot him, and Tilk kind of swats him away because he doesn't want him to be shot. He walks right up to him, grabs his face, grabs his gun, uh, opens his helmet so that we see it's him, looks at the gun, recognizes it because this is the same weapons that he saw on Earth, which was that weird planet they were on earlier that didn't seem like anything else he'd seen um, he asks Skara this is not your weapon where, where did you get it and Skara just spits in his face obviously no reason Ch- to Tilk's just like oh damn kid you're bad at this yep yep I'm trying to save your life here uh, I guess it, it, Tilk is doing the thing where he's he, he's trying to do a Schindler's List basically like it's not very apparent yet but it's gonna be uh, more so later where he's trying to stop people from being killed by taking them as prisoners and like trying to kind of help them behind the scenes later because uh, Tilk at this point is clearly like most of the way over to to a face turn he just needs a, a little push a little hope to to tell him that he can win this fight if he does decide to turn against Apophis um, you, you, you see his face kind of fall go from grim determination to complete despair as the episode goes along and he gets really sick of his job uh, it's really it's really good face acting from Christopher Judge who doesn't get a lot of lines in this episode because he's very stoic um, so uh, the, the, the one Jaffa who grabbed uh, Share brings him in front of Apophis who looks at her and really creepily puts his finger in her mouth to check out her teeth like she's I, a I, horse or a dog or something. Yeah, I really like this bit because, like, it highlights just how bad the scenes in the second half are. Yeah. It gets across, like, the gross commodification yeah. that the goals see for it, humans it's, without it's, it's, being rapey. Yes, exactly. This is this this sells everything you need to know about the way Apophis sees humans, which is just cattle, um, without needing the whole thing later on, which we're going to get into in season two. Uh, uh, not season two, sorry, part two of this episode. Uh, so yeah, Apophis uh, clearly likes uh, Share physically. Um, he says, You may be the one, and he uses his little hand thing to knock her out once again without torturing her like he did with the lady on Earth. He starts 
very menacingly dialing the Stargate on the DHD. I just say that because he, the way he, he kind of jabs at each key on the thing, like he's like a Dragon Ball character or something. It's, it's really weird. Uh, <laughs> he just has a, a funny, he, I don't know what the actor was told to do at this point. He, he's like, do this, but royally, like you're, you like you think you're a god, I guess. Um, so, uh, we see that Freddy, who has like, He's bleeding from one half of his face. It's clearly pretty fucked up. He's uh, sitting in the corner, and he sees Apophis dial the coordinates on the DHD. Uh, so, yeah, the gate is dialed, uh, and they all retreat back through it, carrying both uh, Sharae and Skara. So, after they leave and the gate shuts down, the survivors uh, all come out of hiding, and this is exactly the moment where Daniel and uh, Carter and O'Neill uh, run back in there. Uh, of course, Daniel is distraught. He starts yelling, Sharae, where are you? Um, can't find her. Uh, he finds, sorry, he helps other survivors. Um, yeah, so uh, this kid that's laying on the floor dying tells Daniel that he thought it was raw, so and he saw him take Sharae and Skara into the Chapa Eye, which is the, the you know, the world word for Stargate. Um, so, uh, he, uh, Daniel asks the, the, the kid if he saw the coordinates, uh, but he dies before he can answer his question. A uh, little detail that I like, it seems like Daniel broke his glasses at some point, because we see a close-up of him, and they look to be like, kind of fixed. Yeah, a little bit of tape. I don't know if that's tape or string or whatever, because I don't know if he had tape with him. Maybe he did. Uh, maybe that was part of his little survival kit. Um, I don't know. So what we know he brought to the desert world was uh, books and candy bars. So yeah, made, not made what, the cut. Yeah, whatever was in his survival vest thing. I mean, tape is useful to have anywhere. It could be part of the basic survival kit that everyone has. Um, so at this point, uh, yeah, Kowalski really weirdly gets in Daniel's face and, and asks him, so what's the deal? Is Rob back or, is he, or isn't he? And like Daniel says, how the hell should I know? And like, I wasn't here. I didn't see him. Uh, I'm as in the dark about this as you are. Um, even though we've just established that he's from a different planet, so it would come to reason that he's a different god than Ra, which is going to be confirmed in part two. Um, Again, so the, Daniel, this they should have asked, was he a twink? I mean, that really is <laughs> the heart of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, no I mean, one who knows these, what it's... all of the uh, Apodosians should immediately have saw it. So that's oh, that guy, that's a guy in snake armor. That's that's not Ra. That's yeah, some that, other guy. That's a, that, that's a good point. The kid who said Ra like had a very warped memory of Ra because he's he must have seen Ra before, and though that's not the real guy, I guess maybe he didn't see him from up close. He just knew a uh, dude in big uh, Egyptian-looking armor and glowing eyes equals Ra. It can't be uh, the glowing eyes, because isn't it a point they've never seen Ra's face? Because in the movie, they're shocked when they oh. see that they're humans. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Ra was always showing up with his big headdress thing. So, yeah, maybe that maybe that's why like he just connected dots that aren't actually connected. Um, so, at this point, Daniel is ready to I guess give up. He's, uh, yeah, okay, so Daniel basically wants to stay behind and help the people here and then 
go all alone on his uh, roaring rampage of revenge and get his wife back. Uh, O'Neill points out that that's a really dumb idea. Uh, You'll have a much better job at doing that if you have a large army. Uh-huh. Yeah, so... We should, have a large army. Please yeah, come home. <laughs> yeah, come home with us. First of all, I have orders to do that, and like I'm worried that I'm going to get thrown in the brig if I don't bring you back this time. Uh, also, they're going to nuke you and stuff if we don't go back. Um, so, uh, please come back with us. Uh, Ferretti might have seen the coordinates, which is a long shot, but it, they're actually right that he did. Um and yeah, if Which we is really stick impressive together, since you know he's got one eye at this point. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If we, he's, he's gonna like his eye isn't ruined. I'm pretty sure he's gonna show up, show back up again later in the series. And yeah, no, he's fine. Yeah. But... Um. So yeah. Uh. So Daniel clearly sees the the truth in what they're saying. He gathers all the natives there. Uh. Says, okay. Uh. Listen up. Uh. Shit's bad, y'all. Uh, so we're gonna step back through the Stargate. I'm gonna leave. Uh, you like cover the Stargate with a big rock to make sure that you <laughs> you don't uh, have any bad guys come back here again, because clearly that's a problem now again. Um, and he says, uh, "Yeah, okay." He says he's gonna come back in a year. He's gonna try to come back with Shari and Skara. Um, he only mentions Shari, I guess, because. Uh, he's she's the one he cares the most about. Uh, he says, if a, if a year from now on that back you bury the Stargate forever, um, he says, yeah, you tell Shari's father that both of his kids are gone and I'm going to be back with them in a year, which really sucks for Kasuf because he's not even there and he just lost both of his kids. Um, uh, everyone, uh, and like Daniel says, uh, remember, nothing good can ever come through that gate. And this one kid who's there says, you came through it, Daniel. Uh, and it's very sweet. And so everyone hugs him and stuff, because I guess they all like kind of venerate him now, which is, you know... It's really white savior It's, it's pretty, like Yeah, it's... Almost it's, Kali- it's like almost mid-series Game of Thrones Khaleesi levels of yeah, creepy white savior. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's getting there. This is maybe the most like that it gets most of the time. The rest of the time, it's they kind of not not subverted, but like there's a, bu- there's a bunch of situations where the natives of a planet like assume that about uh, people from Earth, and it's it it it's not in a positive light most of the rest of the time. Um, anyway, so they all hug him and they dial back to Earth, and we're halfway through the episode, so we're gonna stop right here. And that's the first half of Children of the Gods, and uh, the last time we have to stop. Uh, in the middle of something for a while now. So uh, we're going to move on to a couple questions that we got on Twitter. Do I have any new ones? No, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Casey Cosmos, or Comsos, I guess, asks on Twitter, what sci-fi planet would you vaca- would you vacation on via Stargate? I have a very easy answer for this. It's Ryza from yeah, Star Trek. Yeah, it's clearly Ryza. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the best one. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. Let's, it's really hard to think of another answer. It's literally a, a sex resort planet. You yeah, go there and have orgies with people. Let's remove fuck world from our options. <laughs> okay, maybe not fuck world. Um, okay. Where would be a cool place to go uh, on a vacation? I'm gonna say N- Naboo would be yeah, nice. Yeah, Naboo is just yeah. Tuscany, so yeah, 
it's Tuscany, and also get to hang out with Gungans. Always fun. Um, I guess, like from, I guess, like from a curiosity standpoint, I want to go to Coruscant and just check it out. Like the whole like city, like where the whole planet is building. So I just want to see it because it's such a weird concept. You want to do I some guess. death sticks? I don't want to do some death sticks. <laughs> Come on, man, do some death sticks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what else? Other planets? I don't know. It's not just Star Wars because every Star Wars planet is kind of shit, except except Naboo, which is oh, uh, um, I I know the other obvious one. Uh, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, one second. Uh, Flaston Paradise from Fifth Element. Oh, yeah. That's not a planet. That's a ship, but I'll take it. It's, it's probably pretty great whenever it's not being blown up by, uh, what are they called? Uh, Megalore people. Flaston is a paradise ocean world. So, yeah, Flaston. Oh, it is. Oh, because you, 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 you never see the actual planet. They just, they're on the shuttle that goes there and it, everything goes to shit, right? Correct. I forgot yeah. that part. I thought Flaston was the name of the ship. Anyway, um, yeah. A good pick. Um, Trippy Jing asks, "What are okay? I guess this is just for me and M because it, it requires knowledge of future episodes. Uh, what are your favorite pieces of teal headwear or hats? I'm gonna say uh, there's an episode later on where I don't remember the reason why, but uh, they all go to Carter's house and they bring pizza, and Teal is wearing like a ten gallon." Texan big old cowboy hat, and I really like it. It's really funny. Um, there's also a, a time where he's wearing a bucket hat when they're hiding out in like the hotel bu- with a guy. I like the bucket hat. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Teal hat's go to beanie's not very good. Yeah. There's also the Chicago hat, which is pretty early on in the in the series. It's only funny because of the dialogue, because Teal gives us like a Wikipedia header about Chicago, and he gets the hat. It's pretty funny. Uh, teal and a hat, always a winning combination. We'll be sure to point it out whenever it happens. Um, oh, oh, the best teal kid wear. Um, the episode where they go back to the sixties. Yes, and he has, and he the, has the Jimi Hendrix headband with the big hair. I guess he has a yes. wig. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, uh, I have a question. Yeah. How uh, I I see on Twitter that you have reviewed the SG One musical Sleep Lamp. Sorry, what? Uh, I see that You're... you did a review of a musical sleep lamp called the SG-1. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't say that's a review. It's just <laughs> we, we bought... Uh, it's for my kid. We bought, like, like a, uh, uh, sorry, a clock for his room that is also a Bluetooth speaker, and it, it does, like, some little uh, light, a little light show where, while it's playing music and stuff. And uh, I noticed when I picked it up from the box that it's it's called an SG-1. That's the name of the model. And it looks a little bit like a Stargate. And like uh, for, for, for shits and giggles, I, I played the Stargate theme on it while shooting it and to, 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 to drive the point home. Uh, it's a pretty good clock. Um, I, I, would, I, I have to say, uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty powerful Bluetooth speaker. So I, we put it on with like relaxing music when he goes to bed uh so i have to be careful not to put it too loud and stuff but it's it's a good clock and it's a good uh it's a good speaker i would recommend it the sg1 and you get to 
have some fun Stargate times looking at it when you get it because uh, it's a fun name. Um, hang on. Okay, uh, I have like a couple more questions, but uh, okay. So one of them is something we've we've kind of covered uh, last episode. Uh, okay, no, wait. Uh, they have uh, two questions. Um, uh, Jasmine March Marsh asked us uh, two questions. First of all, uh, Gwold's as gray is seen in Ross death scene versus what's in the show. Got any feelings on it, or is it just ignorable retcon for y'all? I kind of went over it last episode or two episodes ago, where uh, I said yeah. I like I like the the head cannon that it's like uh, Ross host was an Asgard and like that. that Ross was the visor three of the Gwold. Uh huh. So that that that's that's pretty cool. But like, yeah, uh, refer to those episodes for our thoughts and all that. Uh, the other question she has is. Y'all ever played the SNES game? It had a bit I could never get past when renting because of no manual. A run, jump, ledge grab. Never played the Stargate SNES game. I'm kind of curious about it now. Maybe I, should, I could get a ROM and give it a try by next week. Uh, either of you have played this game? Uh, I have not. I have never heard of it. Okay. I'm, I'm taking a I'm look gonna at guess it. It. It, it. It just looks like a platformer. Uh-huh. Like a Bionic Commando without the, the whipping. I, I'm gonna guess it's a Super Nintendo like licensed movie game, and it's probably not very good because those things did never tended to be great. Uh, I guess yeah. Sometime this week. Now I'm curious. I'm gonna find that ROM and try it out and see how it is. Uh, I guess that's like what the only Stargate video game that ever actually came out, uh, discounting some mobile stuff that I think did come out uh, that may barely qualify as games. I'm not yeah. sure. The MMO ne- never never managed to MMO surface. never materialized. There was going to be a PS2 first-person shooter that never happened either. Uh, so the only... I, th- I think there's like a Game Boy uh, like puzzle game based on the movie also. I should check it out. It's like they, a, they missed their real calling for the series when they, they should... Cause like, this would have been the time when original XCOM was, was around. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no, a rogue like XCOM where you send through SG teams that and they mostly so get good. they mostly get their asses kicked. Yeah. But occasionally they get to bring back something useful. A uh, tactical management sim. I mean, XCOM is basically works like an SGC simulator in some ways, so it it would fit really well. That would be pretty cool. This is I, where I would have played that. Oh, you, you, you can Sorry. go. I, I was gonna say I would have played that MMO if it had uh, come out. Uh, doesn't sound like it ever got super far off the ground, but it would have been cool to have different planets and different races you could pick pick from and everything. But it would probably feel like like you couldn't ever do like Stargate scale on an MMO. Yeah, well, I mean, it would it, always you'll always it, end up feeling it, it, it would, so it limited. Would, it would just be different zones linked by Stargates, yeah. you know. That's what. Uh, okay, yeah, uh, Jimmy Dean, you just linked us an article about uh, why don't, no Stargate games happened. The, yeah, there were be, uh, a couple. A There's one for the Game Boy. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think I saw I saw the Game Boy one in the magazine. It's like a puzzle game yeah. where you have to match Stargate symbols or something. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, I guess I could check it out. What I was gonna say is, in my mind, the perfect Stargate video game is half of a LucasArts point-and-click adventure game, mm-hmm. and the other half is yeah. a Tom Clancy uh, Rainbow Six game. <laughs> Wow, okay. These are two vastly different yes. genres. Yes. But that's a, that's a, a daring mix. Yeah. But that actually kind of... I could see that, because that, like, literally it's how you would split the party in 
the SG SG one into ge- gameplay roles. Yeah. Like Sam and and Dan, you'll do the point and click stuff, and O'Neill yeah. and Teal'c do the shooty bits. Yeah, they they do they do the action. Yeah, it would be pretty cool to have like the the, the four members of SG One each have different abilities to solve different kinds of uh, problems and puzzles and stuff. Like kind of a oh my Lost god, Vikings the kind of there thing. Was a, there's a pinball table. Oh, awesome! Never gonna play that, but it's great that it exists. Uh, we have, sorry, uh, we have one last question that's from uh, Laura Halo, uh, who asked us, also, have you ever watched or even heard about Stargate Base Gamma, a fan film? No, I have not. I'm going to Google it real quick if and let you say if either of you have even heard of this. Okay, it's a full movie that's on YouTube. Let me just check. Oh, this looks like a fan film. Yeah. Yeah, this looks cheap as hell. All right. Maybe I'm going to watch that sometime. It's two hours long, though, but uh, it could be fun. Came out in 2018. Oh, no, I'm I'm sorry. I have, I've, I've never heard of this before now, so I guess I shouldn't be surprised that there are fan films of uh, the Stargate franchise, considering it's a sci-fi show, and everything does have that. Uh, thank you for sending in questions. Uh, if you want to send us a question... You can uh, send us one uh, on Twitter at, at JaffaTakes, or you can send us an email at JaffaTakesPodcast at gmail.com. And uh, join us next week as we cover the second half of uh, Children of the Gods. Uh, M, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at M of Healy. Is that with two L's in Healy, as you said earlier? No, no, that that was a joke earlier oh. at, at Jack, oh, Jack O'Neill. Okay, okay. I thought I, wow, yeah, went over my head. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> the good. It's, it was a good joke. Thank you, uh, Jimmy Dean. What TV show have you been watching? Uh, the Americans. Oh, this is that's great. I love the Americans. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, in addition to you know yeah. Ally McBeal and other things. Um, I've, I've stalled out really hard in second season of Star Trek Voyager. I really need to commit and just power my way through, but yeah. God, God damn, do I hate it. Voyager is not great. I, I keep meeting people who love Voyager, and I wonder if how long it's been it's, since they've watched it, because... It's, it's got it, good moments in it. Yeah, it has some good moments. overall, yeah, it's bad. It has some good characters, like the Doctor is great, but you know, it's just a uh, worse TNG mostly for the most time, and like the the interesting parts of the setting are not super well executed. Like they don't do as much as they could with it, which is a bummer. Yep, it's uh, uh, no. And then Ron, then Ron Moore went and took everything he liked about the setting he wasn't allowed to use and made Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's tr- that's right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I guess uh, join us next week, everyone. Uh, on Cree, 